evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 115 of the Retrospectors podcast, Mailbag 5. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, James Turles. James, it's been a hell of a year. We've played less games this year than we normally do because we slowed down a bit to just three an episode every three weeks instead of every fortnight. But in some ways, I've enjoyed this year more than all the rest put together with that more relaxed pace. How are you doing? How are you doing in your Christmas holiday? My Christmas was really strange, actually. I drove down to my parents' house on the Gold Coast only to find out that mum's power was out um, and we had to go find someone else's house that wasn't, you know, bustling already <laughs> with Christmas festivities so we could cook lunch. Uh, heat was sweltering. Uh, it was It was nasty weather. Um, but we, you know, we managed to go to my brother's and, uh, you know, just hung out with his roommates who uh, <laughs> uh, weren't doing anything particularly that day and kind of got roped into our festivities. It was a bit odd, but, you know, kind of fun regardless. That is quite funny. My, my Christmas was uh, not, not as exciting as that, but definitely the days before Christmas, I worked like mad. I'm still in retail, so did a few 11-hour days, a few days before Christmas. And then on Christmas Day when I got home, uh... I just collapsed into sleep at three o'clock. But I've had a nice sleep in and I'm already on Boxing Day to record this show. So uh, we're doing a mailbag episode. So basically once a year we do these mailbag episodes. We basically uh, take a lot of questions from our community Discord server and we answer them. Um, I love doing these. It's a lot more relaxed and chilled out. But I think before we get into the questions, it might be nice to do what many other podcasts do and just catch up a bit on the kinds of games we've been playing, James. I reckon this is a bit more of a chill format so we can get away with some uh, some general banter. Yeah, you were telling me about uh, jumping into Warcraft 3 after we did Age of Mythology. You were really hankering to get your hands on that one, even during the review, I think. Yeah, it was very funny. <laughs> like, we played Age of Mythology, a game that uh, is similar to Warcraft 3 in a lot of ways with its uh, hero units and its uh, mythological focus. And while Warcraft 3 isn't exactly the same, in fact, it's different in a lot of ways, uh, I was just chomping at the bit to get into it. So I finally did. I'm playing the Reforged Edition, which has some awful, awful graphical updates, uh, but also has some balance changes to a lot of the campaigns. So I was keen to give it a try to see how it worked. Um, and it's been great. I, I love Warcraft 3. It's such a good game. And it was really interesting coming to it from Age of Mythology. Uh, because of how different the focus of the game is. Like, Age of Mythology, I think we both agreed that the core of like that game is the macroeconomics, like uh, getting your economy yep. up and running. Warcraft 3, most of the time, you'll have a single gold mine, then you'll have six or seven guys on wood, and you're done. Like, that's, that's the total... That's it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> the focus in Warcraft 3 is really about microing your units so you'll have an army of between 10 to 20 units usually uh most of them will have activated abilities and you have to kind of change move between them using the right ability on the right unit moving your low health units away to save them and keeping your high health units at the front and of course your heroes are insanely powerful relative to a normal unit so maximizing their power, you know, whether it's just them tanking in the front lines or using their abilities perfectly. And what I've really enjoyed playing the game on hard mode from start to finish, I'm up to the last mission for Reign of Chaos, is how enjoyable and powerful a diverse 
army composition is. This is something that I didn't really do when I was playing this many years ago. I kind of kept it simple. I ignored a lot of the caster units because they were too hard to micromanage. This time I will have six to eight different units in my army composition and it ends up being a far more powerful army uh, than just having a bunch of the same unit because you get access to all the casters and their powerful abilities alongside you know your more generically powerful units so um i've been loving it i think the game is fantastic it, it's all a bit smaller in my memory than i remembered like a bit simpler uh, particularly in terms of the mission design. A lot of the criticism that came out during the Age of Mythology was that the campaign was just so much better in Warcraft 3. Mm -hmm. Like, is it... Did you Do you think you put it a bit on a pedestal a bit, or is it just as good as you remember? No, I think to some degree I did. Uh, I still think StarCraft 2 does its mission design the best out of any RTS I've played in terms of putting pressure on the player. Warcraft 3 does not put pressure on the player in the same way. It's a lot easier than StarCraft 2 on Brutal, at least for me. But what it has in its advantage is that the joy of controlling your army is so fun that it is kind of okay for the game to be a little... And I think that part of the reason I'm finding it a little easier is that I now have more RTS experience and that I was going to a greater length to create these more diverse army comps. so mm. i've really enjoyed playing orc this time around so you know they've got two different casters each of which have three abilities you've got your raiders which have an ensnare ability you've got the heroes which have burst and create more microable summonable units you've got your range units which are kind of die easily but deal quite good damage and you've got good frontline units and just trying to rotate between all of these units to maximize their effectiveness to lose the least number of units to be in a position where you don't have to rebuild uh and reassemble your army to go for the next push is still enjoyable even if it's not challenging in the sense that you will instantly fail a mission if you don't play it perfectly. so yeah i think to some degree you are correct it's not exactly the same game that i remembered in terms of mission design it's still better than age of mythology but it's not as strong as i thought <laughs> but it it's still superb in terms of how fun it is to just control your army um and i think it's more fun than pretty much any other game in the genre yeah i mean i can believe that uh, i think the uh the game had a massive impact on the scene when it came Wish out. It had more of an impact honestly <laughs> yeah <laughs> As for me, um, I've been actually playing uh, Tevi, which is a 2D Metroidvania kind of game. Um, I hadn't really played a game like this since maybe we did maybe Super Metroid or something like that on the show a while back. Um, I had tried to get into Hollow Knight a couple of times, but the thing that always got me about that game was compared to when we did, say, Symphony of the Night, um, Hollow Knight's customization is very dialed back, like you have options, but there isn't this like this overwhelming sense of experimentation with like the hundreds of items you can find in Symphony. I right? will I will say to clarify on that point, I think that when you start getting to the end game, the customization opens up a lot, but it takes like 15 hours, 20 hours to get to that point. The 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 way it trickles out the upgrades is so slow compared to symphony or particularly super metroid that i can understand why you'd feel that way so for comparison um hollow knight has 45 charms which you can equip mm -hmm. 
Um, Tevi has 250. Sure, so, sure. <laughs> so there's, there's quite like, I'm not saying Hollow Knight doesn't have customization. I'm just saying that like you find like two things a room basically here. Um, so the game's combat is a much closer to something like maybe like your style-based combo games like Devil May Cry or Bayonetta. There's a lot of air juggling and that kind of thing. But the game's done a really good job of introducing mechanics and systems to keep you from just like, you know, running into enemies and mashing the attack button. There's a bit of strategy you have to do, right? Because enemies, as you attack them, they start to gain stacking damage resistance. So you kind of need to do this thing where you, you know, dance in and out of combat in order to reset the reduction. And there's no dodge in this game. Like there's no button that's just like an iframe dodge. Rather, a lot of your attacks have a lot of movement built into them. So if you play the game correctly, you can actually dodge enemy attacks using your own attacks to keep your combo going. And so you're actually boosting around either side of the boss while, you know, uh, dodging things. It gets quite hectic later on. Um, I've been loving this game, actually. It's probably one of my favorite games of the year. If Baldur's Gate 3 hadn't come out and been as good as it was, like, this would probably be my favorite game of the year. I just, like, I started playing it on a Sunday afternoon, and then by, like, Tuesday, I'd clocked, like, 30 hours already. Like, I just spent every moment not at work playing this game. It's awesome. Uh, the boss design is fantastic. They all have so many patterns. If you fight a boss, like, four to five times, on the fifth time, you can still see new attacks, right? Um, they change quite dynamically. It's really cool to see. The one thing I probably criticized the game for is maybe the actual mechanics of moving around the world aren't as interesting like maybe games like Ori or, you know, most of the other Metroidvanias I've played. It's pretty simple with your double jumps and your wall jumps and that kind of thing. But the amount of stuff that's hidden around the world is just so fun. Like, I love exploring every nook and cranny, finding new enemies. Um, and it's also done, like, some really awesome stuff in terms of progression. Like, there's a lot of RPG systems in this game that are tied to experience, but you can only get experience from finding new rooms or finding items or buying items from the shop. There's nothing that's based on killing enemies. Mm, it's tied to exploration. Yeah, there's no actual grinding in the game, but it still has that sense of progression and building up your character, which is awesome to see. Um, there's like some little bit of crafting kind of stuff, but again, like most enemies in the world, like the big crafting materials, like they can only drop it once ever. Um, so you're actually quite limited. Like I'm finding near the end of the game that I don't have enough, you know, money or materials to craft everything. And I'm wondering if like that's intentional. I think by the time I get to after the, you know, the post credits, that's when I'll be able to go and clear out the shops. But, you know, every shop in the game still has like six or seven items in it. It's crazy. Uh, been really, really enjoying it. And it looks like there's a huge diversity to the way you can build your characters. So I do have a question about this game. I've um, You showed me that YouTube footage of one of the boss fights, which was very bullet hell-y. Um, yeah. How enjoyable are the non-boss encounters? Because definitely for something like Devil May Cry 3 or Bayonetta, just the regular encounters against enemies is a core part of the experience and an enjoyable one. Is the mm. meat of this game really in the boss fights with a bunch of filler, or are the actual encounters against your regular enemies still fun as well? Yeah, so I'd say that generally when you get to a new area, it's quite fun for the first, like, 
80% because there's always a set of brand new enemies that have their own challenges. I think like on backtracking to go explore, once you've seen every enemy a few times, it loses a bit of its luster a little bit. But I think that like it's still more fun here because even if the enemies are kind of like, like I know what they do, I know how to beat them, you can still mess around with different inputs on, when fighting them. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of enjoyable that way. The game doesn't just like have boss fights though. There's also lots of like you go into the room, the door closes, and then something happens. Like there's a statue in the middle of the room that's just, you know, spewing out projectiles that you have to dodge for like half a minute or something while also fighting enemies. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, there'll be puzzles. So it's not just like go through rooms, get to boss, do boss fight. There's lots of little bits um, and exploration puddles in the middle. And there's actually like heaps of story in this game. Like I think like maybe if you played it, you would be very annoyed by this, but there's like constant like characterization and dialogue and characters talking compared to, I think a lot of these games don't have that kind of thing. And I get that that's kind of the appeal of the genre to some people. But like for me, I much prefer it when the characters have a bit of personality um, and they do actually tend to have a fair bit of like bite and snarkiness in this game. I find it a bit frustrating when main characters are very bland and too virtuous, I guess. Um, you know, they don't have any rough edges to their personality. I think the main character here is a bit of a shithead sometimes and it's really funny. Um, I don't think it's all excellent. Like, I think the overarching plot's a bit bland. Um, but some of the characterization is quite good and that kind of carries it for me. But, you know, in terms of boss fights, like everyone is like eight, eight out of 10 plus easily. Um, just really enjoy it. And I hate the aesthetic of this game. I just want to put it out oh, there. You I, would. Don't, I don't think it's for everyone. <laughs> and I'm it's, it's, it's funny. Actually, this game is made by the same people who made Rabby Ribby which I always heard was really good, but I refused to play because the art style I found to be kind of repulsive. Mm. Man, I kind of, I do agree with you that it is boring when main characters are just virtuous and, you know, kind of do what they're told. Have you ever heard of this game yeah. called Cave Story James? Where, oh, yep. where, you know, someone <laughs> was given the chance to kill a grandma and instead they blandly did what they were told. Terrible, terrible story. <laughs> Am I right? Oh, yeah. Awful. Always yeah. kill grandmas. That's my, that's my personal philosophy. That's a hill I'm going to die on. Yeah, there were some uh, pretty dark things happening later on in this plot. Like, one of the characters, spoilers, uh, got, like, turned into a robot, basically, and it looked fucked. Like, and that was a that boss battle, like, I'm guessing? Yeah, against the, like, scientist dude. Um, actually, you did have to fight that while it was mind-controlled as well. Mm. Um, yeah, voice acting is also excellent. They, like, got a... It's a Japanese game. They got like the A-list of voice actors. It was awesome. I was like, I recognize like literally every voice actor. That's cool. Yeah. So maybe <laughs> sick. I like after looking at this game a little bit, I don't think it's necessarily one for someone who is just after another classic Metroidvania. But I think that oh, if no. you're engaged with the mechanical RPG side of things and you also enjoy Metroidvanias, this may be a game made in heaven for you. Yeah, it's pretty damn good. Like, I really like it. Um, well, that's that's what we've been playing. Um, I think we should just get straight into the mailbag questions, James. Let's go. We've got a lot to get through. And big thank you to everyone for their questions. I've said it before, but it's still true. The whole reason we do the show is because of our listener base. Um, and we love 
interacting and engaging with everyone on our Discord server. So thank you for the questions and thank you for being with us this year and for all five years now that we've done the show. Yeah, man, there's still people who join and say they listen to every episode and I'm like, man, I'm glad you managed to push through the first year. It makes my heart warm makes up when people nice. say that. Yeah, it means yeah, a I'm lot. Like, oh, so. I guess we managed to get the event. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so do you want to take us away with the first question, James? Yeah, so the first question comes to us from Mayday Mima, who has been a longtime listener and Discord user, um, and he asks... Do you think there's a tendency for a second installment to expand on the first game too much and become bloated or overambitious, and then for the third game to overcorrect and become less ambitious? Um, so to me, I think this question is interesting because I think that it kind of goes beyond just maybe if we think about like a trilogy, I think you can expand this question to apply to like IPs in general. Um, but specifically for individual games, I think it's slightly different because I think what happens is that you have a new studio with a limited budget who makes a game and then the game does surprisingly well, right? They, it becomes a hit and now they have a much bigger budget to make their second game and they, you know, uh, the, I think their eyes become too big for their stomach maybe. Like they just, they're like, we have money, we can make all of this stuff and you end up with a bit of like maybe a bit of extra bloat on top of there. At least that's the impression I get um, coming from uh, software development. I think it's very easy to lose track of like a tight design when um, you know all the options are available to you. Um, I would say that I agree with the first part of this question, that the second installment of a lot of games are prone to bloat. I think that when it comes to the third installment, you're most commonly going to see a something close to a carbon copy of the second game in a lot of instances or something extremely similar to the second game it's pretty mm. rare for the third game to continue to innovate on the core experience um one funnily that comes to mind of a series that continued to rapidly change is banjo kazooie because i know that yeah. banjo kazooie the second installment is famous for being too bloated and too big compared to the far more refined level design of the first yeah i really liked it though and then the third game was completely different well completely so like... different i know that some people <laughs> hated it but you certainly can't yeah. critique it for trying something innovative and different and i think that something like that is definitely outside the norm so but i, I don't think i don't think I, th I think if you apply this idea to ips in general like you have a series that gradually gets more complex as they get more and more games and eventually it stops attracting new players because it's too complex so they have to reboot it to something simple mm. to bring in the new players again right like that happens all the time um i just don't think that that you know i don't think it normally happens with just three games it's funny i think one of the games that kind of avoids this trap uh, or series that avoids this trap is metal gear solid because i think that each and every game does innovate and introduce new ideas and mechanics, but not in a way that's overwhelming to the player. I think you could jump into any Metal Gear Solid game in the series, any of them, and you'd still have a fine new player experience. But definitely, I think massive jump between games one and two like it's to common. me off the top of my head yeah. yeah like sly one to slide like all those ps2 platformers like jump into my head like sly one to sly two ratchet one to ratchet two uh jack one to jack two 
I actually think Metal Gear Solid 1 to 2 is a good example too, and then 3 is a, just an improvement, slight improvement on 2. I think 3 is a clear improvement on 2. Um, I don't think it's as big as a jump as 1 to 2, though. Uh, yeah, I agree with that, but 3 does have a lot of uh, new mechanics. I mean, not, and most of them didn't survive into the next series, but camouflage, uh, the way injuries work, all the survival mechanics, eating the food and everything, it... In some ways, it's a reboot because it's a different setting, but I don't think those mechanics were bad. They just led to too much uh, menu screwing around, and so you spent a lot of the time on Metal Gear Solid 3 sifting through menus if you wanted to play anywhere near optimally. Um, it was fun the first time, though. It was, yeah. Like, it's definitely, yeah, definitely on the second playthrough loses a bit of luster, but, you know, the first time I thought it was awesome. It's quite funny. I've heard people say that the game is ridiculously easy, and I can kind of understand why now that I've played all the other Metal Gear Solid games. But at the time, it was my first Metal Gear Solid game and one of the first stealth games I'd played, and I was really bad at it. So as a result, I was mm. using all of the tools, and it was taking me a long time to get through each and every level. So all of those mechanics worked quite well for me. I mean, generally, like I think something else that contributes to this is that when you're developing a game for the first time, Often with the second title, you can reuse a lot of the code you've written, like your engine and that kind of thing, for the sequel. So you get to spend a lot more development time, you know, polishing things and adding features rather than implementing basic stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think that generally is what leads to that big jump between the first and second games in a series. Yeah, but often not for the best. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's in the end, it ends up being a different experience, right? Which I, and I've said this before about a number of games, but in some ways we're blessed that studios do do this, that they go for the ambitious, bigger version of the product, because it means you've got two distinct games. You don't have mm. a thing like with the original Mega Man series, where Mega Man 1 through 6 or whatever, to an untrained eye, are very similar to one another, right? Uh, yeah. You have games that are distinct and have a distinct philosophy and values to them, so you can appreciate them from their own perspectives and you can have fans of each games and you get to have more a more interesting discussion surrounding their historical legacy, I guess. So in mm. the end, I think that even when games are overambitious and bloaters were created as a consequence, it is a good thing for us as gamers when, when that happens. All right, next question, Pat. Okay, so next question is also from Mayday Mima. He asks, if you have to sum up each year of the pod so far with a one or two word theme, what would you say? Oh, I've got some good answers for this one. So I'm just going to go through my five first. Yep. So number one was get a better mic, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and that applies to both of us. Um, no, year two was Luna bad, Dark Souls good. <laughs> number three was genre diversity, because I think it's the year where we played the most like different genres um, of any of the years we've done. We basically picked a different one every single time, and it was awesome. The fourth one I had trouble with, but it basically boils down to zombies, robots, dinos, and insects. Like, we've just got a lot of horde, mindless, non-human enemy games in here. Like, we played a lot of zombie games at the start of the year, um, and then played a lot of robot games near the end of the year, and we had some, you know, dinosaur games and insect games mixed in there too. And then the last uh, year five uh, was Rough Start, Strong Finish. Um, I think... And that was this year. We played a lot of, you know, for, at least to me, mixed titles near the start of the year. And then at the end, it was just banger after banger. So uh, pretty, pretty happy with what we've been playing recently. 
Yeah, so um, I have for year one, uh, learning and failing. I think for the first season, we were pretty crap. I, mean, I know that's normal for podcasts, but I really don't want to go back and listen to any of those earlier episodes. Yeah, me neither. But, you know, that's I'm not mad about it. I mean, it's part of the learning part process. Of learning, part, yeah. of, part of the journey. Um, but yeah. Part of me is like so sad that we picked so many great games for year one because uh, <laughs> like Doom is the first game. It's like, I guess we got to revisit it with Doom too, did, but yeah. it's like... We don't get to visit those games again with, you know, better ability to critique or better mic setup or better audio, whatever. You know, they're just, they're just I gone. think that's part of it. Though. I think for some people, they enjoy seeing the progress as well. Like, it's fun to mm. see uh, what we started out, out of, to see what we started out as. Uh, for season two, I had feeling confident and then in brackets, far too confident. <laughs> I think season two, <laughs> we were starting to feel a bit better about ourselves. You know, you have you definitely have imposter syndrome when you start a podcast like this. Um, uh, and I think that we, I perhaps overcorrected in this season um, and went a bit too, too far into uh, shouting my opinions from the rooftops and blindly dismissing from <laughs> the perspectives but you know it's fine we've got more of a balance now but definitely in season two there were several episodes where i was very mad um season three i put as the guest season i think that it was around this time that we felt confident enough to start having more guests on the show so i did a lot of work organizing guests so we have a lot of people uh, coming over season four i put as the mediocre season um i think that we played a lot of decent games in season four I don't think we played many incredible games. I don't think we played many absolute stinkers. Um, and so season four in a lot of ways is my least favorite season just because a lot of the games are merely okay. You know, stuff like Peter Jackson's King Kong, that that was like the representative game. For or me. Chaos Theory that we were weirdly down on. Like, I know people love yeah. that game, but we were like, and Goldeneye and Eternal Darkness. Yeah. I think there was some like, there were some good games that were surprises. Like there was Gorky 17. Mm. Uh, there was Resident Evil 4 mm. and Metroid Prime. And Rid I thought Riddick was, like, way better than I was expecting, too. Metroid, well, um, but even then, like, like Riddick to me is, like, a 7 or an 8 out of 10. Like, it, it's a decent Yeah, I was expecting, game. like, a 4, though. Yeah, sure. And, you know, even yeah, Eternal Darkness is a good example. There's a lot of these games that have cult followings that have interesting ideas, but ultimately didn't add up to something where I was, like, Man, I had such a great time playing that game. I felt the same about Season 2, actually. I thought basically the whole year was pretty mid, mm. uh, except for, you know, opening with Katamari Damacy and Heroes. Mm. Uh, and then oh, Comedian Dynasty was good, too. And then it kind of, like, petered out a lot. That's um, true, yeah. It, it's always more fun when the games are very good or very bad. Um, <laughs> for Season 5, I put Hitting Our Stride. I actually feeling really good about the podcast lately, and particularly this year. I think giving us the extra time to play games has helped a lot that I wasn't rushing through them as much, so they had more time to breathe, more time to think about how I felt about the games. And I'm really happy where the pod is at the moment. You know, we'll, we'll of course, always try to improve, but... I love the format of the show. I love our listeners. I love pretty much everything about it. I love doing it. So um, that's how I'd sum up year five. I just think I, I really enjoyed this last season. I think it was our best so far. Mm, we did a lot of, you know, deep dives and we had more time to do the games and it was a bit less rush. Yeah, I think we had some really good episodes this year. Yep. Um, so the next question comes from Yorkie Duval and his question is, from what you have played so far, 
Which gaming platform has been the biggest surprise in terms of how many games you've enjoyed and which has the worst track record? Which I think the first part of this, I think, is an easy answer and the second maybe a bit, you know, less so. Yeah, so the first is obviously the GameCube and I think James yeah. and I both agree on this. Yeah, not, this is, not difficult. This is an obvious <laughs> answer and it's one that surprised, like at the time it surprised me. I never owned a GameCube. I thought the GameCube was a stupid console, <laughs> like just looking at it, <laughs> looking at the disc. I always thought it was far behind the PS2 and Xbox, you know, just a you know side weird Nintendo console. But every time we do it, GameCube game, it's either fantastic or it's at the very least very interesting and is doing something yeah. off the beaten path that's more enjoyable than your King Kongs or your Etern- I mean Eternal Darkness is a GameCube game but yeah it is but Eternal Darkness like was doing interesting things right yes. like I probably of the GameCube titles that was the one I enjoyed the least um I didn't hate the experience it was just a bit mid you know mm. um but it was still like really trying to do something interesting and I liked you know the the main you know s- spooky theme in the house and and dolphin is an excellent emulator which also helps there's just always zero technical issues just zero also it has resident evil 4 so a one yeah you know so Uh, that puts it up i guess actually um (laughs) for which one had the worst track record i couldn't actually figure this out james i went through all the games it's it's between nes and ps1 i think yeah even the super nintendo has some games that are just like okay we just haven't done that many on those consoles though like i feel like we need to do more to truly i think the real answer to this question is like pc games from that awkward period in which they're a pain in the ass to install Mm. (laughs) well i actually have some of this from one of the later questions but yeah i i don't think we have done many i i can't think of a single worst console but i think the gamecube is a clear best yeah i agree with that i would say to me the NES games we played probably been, you know, not the best, mm. but I think games of that era get a bit of a, you know, they they barely knew what they were doing. <laughs> I agree, <laughs> which is maybe why we haven't done as many from that era. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, in general, the the games back then were just less. They had less going on, right? They were simpler. Yeah. So it, it we've kind of tended to pick more complex games that have more going on because they're more. They've got more going on in terms of being able to discuss them. When you discuss Castlevania 1 and the early Mega Man games, uh, like there's only so much to discuss. I still really want to do Zelda 1. I think that game would be fun to talk about. Also, we'd have to do it. I'd want to avoid walkthroughs as much as possible and just do the water cooler, like us finding stuff and telling each other. Yeah, the Dark Souls approach. Yeah, I mean, that's how people played that game, right? When it came out, like, it was very... Yeah, we'll need to create a Zelda 1 support group channel on Discord (laughs) and people, and we can ask questions where we get stuck. That would be fun. I wouldn't mind it. Okay, next question. Um, And this is an easy one, James. Like, you probably knocked this out straight away. If you had to pick the top Uh... five games of all time, what would you choose? This is the hardest question (laughs) because, like... uh, So, okay, so for this one, I said that I interpreted this to be my favorite single player games rather than the games that i think are the best or anything like that uh, i stuck with single player otherwise my whole list would be like dota 2 path of exile Yu-Gi-Oh! Master, you know like mm. all these shitty live service games that i play way too much of um so let's go with single player games so my easily my most 
So easily the game I'm the most nostalgic about is Final Fantasy X. Um, I played that game a lot as a kid and I really connected with the story and the world. Like I really liked how melancholy the whole plot was, how miserable everything is, and how the kind of characters kind of try to push through that. You should, um, Tales from the Backlog podcast just did an episode on that, actually, which I listened Ooh, to. excellent. Yeah, highly recommend it. You should check it out. Think it was a good episode? Uh, yeah, and the thing is, like, this is my favorite way to engage with JRPGs, listening to people talking to them about mm. it, because I get to cut all the combat out of the experience. <laughs> yeah, no, the guys yeah, so... the guys that uh, Davon had to guest were JRPG nerds, so they brought a lot of um, acumen to the uh, discussion of the mm. mechanics and the story, so I thought it was quite good. Yeah, so game has my favorite intro cutscene ever. I love the music, um, I love the characters, I love, you know, the fucking sphere grid, it's my favourite thing ever, uh, and I think this is the game to blame for my, you know, lack of complexity and character hmm. building. Um, so that's first. Second, third, fourth, and fifth were harder. I've got Celeste in here in no particular order just because I played so much of that when it came out and almost 100%ed it. I need to go back and finish some of the strawberries, but, you know... Even when we played it again, I was like just as happy to play it a second time through. I basically love everything about that game, um, gameplay, story, and music. And it's like, you know, it's so painless to play despite being like, you know, a Meat Boy style platformer where you die constantly. There's just like no punishment. You just get to try and try again. Um, next game, I actually have Pathologic 1 on here. Whoa. Um, which is interesting yeah i like patrick think that the gameplay is garbo but this game is like one of those brain worms like i think about the story and the characters all the time um i really liked this one i think this is by far my favorite story in a video game that i've played as an adult like nothing comes close um the characters the way they try to trick you uh the way the world's set up, it's just awesome. I just love it to bits. Even if the act of actually playing it, you know, is a bit painful, I listen to the soundtrack to this day. Uh, and then we've got Etrian Odyssey 4, which I played a few years ago, and just like, man, that game's incredible. Uh, it's hard. It's like, I feel like a lot of JRPGs that aren't like grid-based tactics games really struggle to introduce good challenge to the player this game has like resource management it's got tactics it's got team building it's got combos it's got class design and enemy design the bosses are all like super difficult the whole series is just like made the, for me honestly the other thing that you've described to me about this game that seems almost unique is the puzzle solving element of the combat where you have to yeah understand I, I guess create a logical connection between what an attack says it does and how you think that would affect an enemy or a combat yeah. scenario right yeah it feels like they put a lot of work into making certain enemies like like there's a, a scorpion enemy that's immune to blind and there's like most of the status effects there's no way to know without kind of like trial and erroring it but you can kind of think that a scorpion wouldn't worry about getting sand in its eyes right because Sand attack is the primary way you inflict blind early on. Mm. Stuff like that. Uh, it's got, you know, really unique hardware-based gameplay where you're traveling through a dungeon, uh, drawing your own map on the touchscreen of the Nintendo DS, uh, and solving puzzles that you basically can't solve until you map things out and then plan your movement, you know, six turns in advance. It just does everything so well. The soundtrack's a banger. 
uh, love it to bits. You know, the story's a bit whatever, um, but, you know, the actual experience of playing the game is just, like, superb for me. And finally, I included this one just because I want to keep mentioning it on every mailback episode so I can convince people to give it a go, uh, is a visual novel called Raging Loop, uh, which has one of the worst endings I've ever seen, but the, the build-up before the ending is just, like, amazing. I love all the characters in this game. If you've played the social deduction game Werewolves, uh, it's basically that in video game form. You've got a bunch of murderers in this creepy little village, uh, and nobody knows who the murderers are, um, and this village is filled with extremely superstitious elderly people who, uh, there's this, like, poem, um, that's been passed down through generations, basically, that convinced all the superstitious people that every so often people are going to get possessed by, like, these wolf spirits, um, and if they do not, uh, hunt and sacrifice someone every day, uh, the town will be destroyed effectively. So you have these like meetings where the townsfolk all argue with each other over who to hang. And the way the dialogue is written, these back and forths are so good. It's so logical. The characters that are super smart argue in this very logical manner. The characters who are very emotionally driven don't do that. The way each of the characters interacts with each other is interesting. And there's a lot of characters with different motivations trying to trick each other and that kind of thing. And I think what ties it all together is that the main character is really smart and really conniving. Like, he's a piece of shit, <laughs> um, and he is basically only in it for himself. So he, he does a really good job of, like, figuring things out and explaining his reasoning. Because there's actually, like, a lot of cool game theory that gets discussed in this game. It's awesome. My favorite dialogue in any game ever. But terrible ending... Uh, would recommend Raging Loop despite that, however. Got this one on my wish list based on your recommendation, James. I'm just waiting for it to go on a good enough special and I'll snap it up yeah. because I wouldn't mind trying another visual novel. I um, have enjoyed the ones I've played so far. Yeah, there's uh, not that many, you know, coming out from the genre and it tends to be fairly low quality. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's one way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, now on to my picks. So... My top five is, like James, it's extremely hard to narrow it down to a top five. Um, Celeste was on my list of honorable mentions. I think that game is fantastic. I still think it's the best 2D platformer ever made. And I think it's a very clear cut above the ones everyone loves, like Super Mario World or, you know, any of the Mario games. It's just an incredible game. And the way it escalates the challenge into the B-sides, the C-sides, Chapter 9 is fantastic and something that mm. you just don't really see in modern platformers today it combines the high points of precision platformers with momentum platformers uh it's close to a flawless game i, I love celeste to pieces as well um but you know i had to narrow it down to five so uh it just didn't quite make the cut so i think my clear number one is outer wilds uh this is a game that feels like it was made for me it's a game that puts exploration uh front and center of the experience um for those who haven't played it the basic concept is that the solar system you're in is on a time loop uh it, the sun explodes every every 22 minutes and in each 22 minutes you need to explore this solar system that has about six planets on it and try to figure out what the hell is going on and what you can do to stop it 
uh, you are gated from various areas, not based on movement abilities, but based on your understanding of what's going on. So you'll go to one planet and you'll get a clue as to how to progress in another area. So it's completely open-ended. And once you know what to do, you can just finish the game immediately. But the process of uncovering what's going on, um, of understanding what's going on, all the environmental storytelling and the unraveling of the mystery of what happened and what to do about it is completely unique. You just cannot get this experience anywhere else. And Outer Wilds does it beautifully and wonderfully. So I'm very excited. Oh, and the DLC for it is superb as well. It's a bit more uneven than the base game. There are lows and highs um, that are lower and higher than anything in the main game. But by the end of it, you'll love it to pieces. Um, this game is fantastic. I yeah, am very excited to see what the studio behind it does next. To move on, I have Sekiro in my top five. I think Sekiro is the best game that From Software has made. Uh, it's a lot more streamlined and restrictive than your Dark Souls games or your Bloodborne games, which lean heavier into the RPG side. Sekiro is very much emphasizing the action side. And that action is fucking great. And personally, I've never loved the RPG aspects of Dark Souls that much. I think they're, it's a really uh. messy system, you know? Like, it's an ugly, <laughs> messy system that incentivizes weird things like stacking endurance and health. Um, whereas Sekiro, which kind of gets rid of that in favor of, I guess, more meaningful decisions with your what you're using as your side weapon and emphasizing the action gameplay of blocking and attacking is right up my alley. So uh, Sekiro, to me, is the best Souls-like, and it's not really close. Um, love it. I hope that there's a Sekiro 2 one day. Have you, have you, you've never finished this one, right, James? No, I got bored. Yeah. <laughs> there's not enough to find. There's nothing, like, motivating me to walk around or play more of the game, I felt like. Yeah. Uh, when you play Souls, you walk around and you'll find like this sweet weapon or sweet shield or cool spell. That doesn't happen in Sekiro. Uh, no. it's ve- but to me, the what I love most about the Souls games is their combat and I guess the environmental storytelling. And I think that Sekiro has the best combat system by far. And I think that the storytelling, while not as good as something like Bloodborne, is still surprisingly well done if you're willing to delve into the details of what has actually happened. Yeah, I think I think I just don't really care for the parry system. Mm. Like, I never used it in Dark Souls. I've played so many of those games and just it never really did anything for me. So having a whole game based around that is just like, I don't know, it doesn't really appeal to me that much. I've, I've had a lot of people express this sentiment to me, like, I didn't parry in Dark Souls, and I don't like how Sekiro forces you to do it. I think that's the wrong way to think about it. Sekiro is not like Dark Souls, where it's trying to offer you different playing styles. It's, it's an action game that's offering you a specific play style, and it's about mastering that specific play style. And the parrying combat in Sekiro is so much more sophisticated and complex compared to the parrying in Dark Souls that is hardly worth comparing. It's, you know, when you have to perfectly parry six strikes in a row, read the attacks from your enemy, and then jump at the last moment or sidestep at the last moment, that's just not something that you ever do in any Souls game ever, not even close. You parry once and instantly kill an enemy. So I understand if you don't enjoy the combat, that's fine. But I don't think 
parrying being a thing in Dark Souls is relevant to your evaluation of Sekiro's combat? I mean, I think it is because, like, I tried parrying in those games and didn't like it. And then I did parrying in Sekiro and I agree, I still didn't really care for it. So Okay, like... for, for me going parry, 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 jump, hit, hit, step, side, step away, hit, parry, parry, delay, parry, is not the same as they attack you, you parry, and then kill them instantly. There's just It's just two, two different combat systems completely. Yeah, I agree with that. See, in Dark Souls, if I do this tedious mechanic, I'm, a, I'm rewarded with a kill. Mm. If I do it in Sekiro, I'm rewarded with nothing. I have to do it 10 more times, maybe 100 more yeah, times. Se- you know? Sekiro, the parry like... windows are a lot uh, wider, though. So it, it's like, uh, I mean, listen, I, I get if you don't like it, but to me, it's so different from Dark Souls parrying that Comparing the two is not of value. They're just two different systems. Yeah, I mean, Sekiro's just Guitar Hero in disguise, right? Yeah. Uh. I mean, definitely a lot of people have made the comparison to rhythm games, but the joy of the game is that having a button come down, like having a thing come down the screen and pressing the button when it falls inside the window, to me is far less interesting than having to read an enemy's attack and based on, you know, the the timing of that attack pressing parrying. Generally, I find if the game doesn't make me think about it when I'm not playing it, then I'm like, I'm not going to keep playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that'll make me keep thinking about the game is like... Systems. Oh, but what if I did this with this? Mm. Maybe this will have Like, I need to... If the game's not a big puzzle that I'm trying to solve in my head, then yeah. Yeah, and I think that maybe I just like action games more than you, maybe. Because to me, I yeah. enjoy the process of mastering a system even if that system is quite simple on the face of it. Yeah. Um, so for number four, I had a game, the only game that we've played for the podcast, and that's the Resident Evil remake. That was on my short list. We, we've said it many times, but this game caught us both by surprise at just how incredibly sophisticated and incredible it was. Uh, I love Resident Evil. The... All of the survival horror mechanics in this game are meaningful from the fixed camera angle to the tank controls to the safe room save design system, the best way to do save games, to having limited saves. More game, I can't believe they got rid of limited saves uh, because it's one of the best features of this game. It means that you can't just go out into the world for free. Uh, you actually have to commit a resource. So. You can't just go out, do a task, come back and save after, you know, grabbing two items. You actually have to, in your head, make meaningful progress before you commit to a save. It kind of like solves all of the problems that you could potentially have with the genre. What I think is amazing about this is that it was one of the first iterations of survival horror and they nailed it. Like they just, they just got it perfect first try the only game that i think comes close to this in any way shape or form is super metroid whereas but super metroid is a messier game like the combat in that game against normal enemies is just not really interesting yeah but at least that had the pacing perfect resident evil just gets everything right um Mm. love this game to To be fair this is a remake that's true yeah You are right, yeah, and I should really play the original. Everyone I've spoken to says that it is meaningfully different from the first game, 
Um, and I should I should give the original a try. I'm sure it won't take me too long to get through either. But yeah, it's interesting. I feel like when I talk, like I hear people, people always talk about four as being like the game in the series that they like the most. But I never think like after we finished playing that game, I never gave it another thought. I think mm. you know. It, whereas one, I think about that game all the time. It's like amazing. I'm, so like that was probably number six on my list. Yeah, I, with number seven being like Psychonauts, I think. Yeah, number four to me was extremely good. Like I really liked number four, but Resident Evil Four might make my top fifty or top a hundred. Whereas Resi Remake yeah, is clearly top. It's 10. like a top five, yeah. top ten. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so Resident Evil Remake, great game. And the final game I have on my list is Disco Elysium. Um, I think Disco Elysium stands alongside Pathologic 1 as having the best writing of any game I've ever played. Mm. It is incredibly good. It, everything about it from uh, its... Like, conceptually, the idea of your skills talking and talking to one another and talking to you and whichever skills you put the highest being the most dominant thoughts in your head is fantastic the game is hilarious like it's not yeah, just it's really funny it's not just not funny it is one of the funniest games if not the funniest game i've ever played but that doesn't stop that it from good. also having incredible moments of pathos uh kim is one of the best companions that you could ask for from a game. He's like the only companion that the main character could have. Like no one else could put up with that much bullshit. Like Yeah, I, <laughs> I and I think that the way it tackles so many ideas with this kind of absurdist approach is wonderful. The game is constantly in relentless mockery of everything. Everything comes under fire. And while I think that the game is ultimately a leftist game, I don't think it's because of any overt political elements. I think it mocks uh, political sides pretty equally across the board. I think it's because it puts humanity and people and compassion for other people at the center of, I guess, of, of its philosophical core. And I think that there are a lot of moments to demonstrate empathy over the course of your journey. And my Harry, my version of Harry, was a complete lunatic psychopath, but he did the right thing by people in my mind when it mattered. Um, so yeah, Disco is great. It it elevates the art form. I don't know when we'll get another game that's as well written as Disco Elysium. It truly is just a masterpiece. And it's one that everyone i think should at least try to experience if they enjoy reading and experiencing a story in a way uh that no one has ever told before yeah completely agreed it is super all right well i think it's time for a music break right i do think that's a good idea this episode is not going to be ending anytime shortly uh so uh, I think we should pick songs from the top five games that we listed, Gems. We don't have a game that we're playing this uh, week, obviously, so we can't just go from that OST. And the song I picked is Corrupted Monk from Sekiro. Sekiro has a great soundtrack, and this is definitely my favorite song. For some context with this song, you have a society of monks that have become corrupted in their search for eternal life. And basically, they've allowed themselves to be infested with these worm-like parasites that do give them eternal life. These worm-like parasites do not die, but they've also basically lost their lives in the process. So this song fuses the, I guess, more idyllic 
sound of the monks and their traditional instruments with the uh, far more harsh, and, but yet still still kind of compelling hypnotic sound of the uh, parasites that have inf infested them. And I think that this um, this blend of these two sounds into one song gives a absolutely fantastic result, and it makes the fight very intense. It's just a very good fit for the um, for the theming of the boss fight. This music. So here is corrupted monk. So the next question from Yorkie Duval is, do you have games that you feel like should totally be up your alley and have tried a few times but just can't seem to get into? Uh, I had a few answers for this. Um, the first is Dead Cells, which is an action roguelike. Mm. I think I should love this game. Everything on paper is that I should adore this game, but I've tried a couple of times and I just can't get into the the loop. I don't know why that is. I got no idea but just can't get into it i think it's the progression is weird i feel like i made like heaps of runs with no progress in that yeah, game yeah i when think I that might be it. part of it as well and i think like the boss fights just aren't very fun there's something about the two like compared to hollow knight or whatever it's just um next time i have is hearthstone i love card games you know james and i have played a lot of magic the gathering slay the spire is one of the greatest games ever made in my mind Hearthstone, I've tried two or three times. So boring. I just, I just get bored with it. Uh, and I know that they do a lot of cool things with special events and stuff, but I just can't find the motivation to to give it a try. So too hard, too boring. To the monetization's awful. Like I don't know. Yeah. I played a bit of it. Just regret every moment. <laughs> uh, and the final game I have on my list is Doom Eternal. Um, I haven't finished Doom Eternal. I've played Damn. it a decent amount i've tried to play through it twice and kind of stopped at the same point both times i really enjoy boomer shooters i really enjoy modern takes on boomer shooters whether it's dusk or ultra kill or medieval I, I like all these games cannot get into doom eternal no matter how much i try 
it still feels too much like an MMO to me in the way you cycle through resources and abilities instead of the emphasis being on... I know that there's lots of movement and stuff, but it feels to me far more about using the right ability at the right time to maximize effectiveness as opposed to moving around and managing your resource, your like your ammo. I don't know. Maybe I'm too old it's for like this It's like all game. about resource management. Maybe. Yeah, I, I don't found, know. I found that game to be amazing. I should go back and play more of it. Yeah, um, but yeah, playing a classic Doomwad to me is like 10 times more enjoyable than Doom Eternal, which gives you far less resources to manage is a lot more about fine-tuning your movement and exploring the environment i guess uh i just can't get into this game even though i don't think it's a bad game i just don't think it's for me all right james what what are your what's a game that that you should be up your alley uh so i've actually got hollow knight on this one i've tried to play this game like two three times now and i love the art style and i feel like i should like the atmosphere and the gameplay but I just keep getting a bit, like, bored, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't like the way the basic attack feels, and because you do that constantly, like, I like bouncing off of things when you attack below you, but it just doesn't really, like, you know, when I get an upgrade, I don't feel like all these possibilities are spiraling out in my mind. It's just like, okay, I look at it, I probably won't use that, and then I keep going. game has a very um, slow start. I do agree with that. Uh, yeah, you, you, the the abilities have trickled out to you very slowly. Yeah, I probably will get around to it again at some point. Silk so- when Silk's, you know, time. in ten years when Silk Song is going to be released, well, that game's never fight. coming out. It's Dude, vaporware. It'll come out in ten years. I'm confident <laughs> in that time frame. Yeah, the next uh, uh, the next Duke Nukem Forever. I think. <laughs> I guess Elden Ring eventually did come out. It did. Yeah. So if if Elden Ring can come out, then maybe Silk Song can. Um, and then the other game I have is Subnautica, which I think. Mm. I would probably find to be pretty cool, but I feel like I've started it like three times and gone, like played like an hour and then not really, you know, had any motivation to continue. Uh, I think it's this kind of game where if you push through the first like four hours or something, you probably get pretty hooked. Um, But I've seen enough spoiler discussion that I think I've probably ruined it for me. Did you ever make Um, it back onto the ship? No, I don't think so. Like I... Yeah, I kept trying. I should probably like sit down and just force myself for a bit. I really think, based on the descriptions other people have given me, that I probably would. The first time um, I played it, I stopped as well. It took me to my my second playthrough where I actually got through it. And even then, I did take a break in the middle. But um, I do think there's a period in there where things get a bit slow and awkward, and then you get the prawn suit again and it picks up again. <laughs> Warhammer 40k Dark Tides, probably the other one recently. Like, I hate that game. I hate playing it. Every second I'm playing that game, I'm like miserable. Is that um, is that the Left 4 Dead one? Yeah, I love. I've got like a lot of hours in Vermintide too, but I hated playing. I think I just hate the focus on ranged enemies. Mm. Um, like when you've got so many dudes plinking you from across the screen, like it really restricts your movement and the way you can play. And I find that so unfun. It's the Call like, of Duty problem, isn't it, James? Yeah, like I just want to be out in the open, like blasting stuff and not like, I don't know. It's just very tedious to play. Hmm. Um, I don't like any of those board shooters at all. Like ever since Left 4 Dead, the first game came out, I never really understood the appeal. So 
I'm kind of with you on this one. Yeah, I, I mean, I liked the other one I play. I guess I just preferred the focus on melee combat like mm. many times more. I think the real problem with Dark Tide is that it's not Vermintide 2. Like, I just like that game so much more. It just ruins that one for me. So, you know. Then we have a uh, bonus question from Yorkie Duval, and it's a bonus question for Patrick. Can you say five good things about JRPGs and why your opinions on them are god-awful and wrong? Um, Let's go. I'm not going to get to five, mate. You, you've set me an impossible task here, but over the past few weeks, honestly, when you asked this question, I did start to reflect a little on why my opinions are what wrong. they are. <laughs> why they're wrong. wrong. <laughs> uh, so I do have a couple of positive things to play about jrpgs and why i think i might find them less appealing than others oh redemption arc let's go uh so the first thing is that i think that if you are unfamiliar with fantasy the stories in classic jrpgs are probably pretty enjoyable um so this is something that is more of a personal problem which is that i have read a lot of fantasy i've read a lot of classic fantasy and I've read a lot of modern fantasy, and I'm at a stage where I don't get any enjoyment from a classical fantasy story. About the only one that's any good is Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Those books did it so well, and then you had a lot of pale imitations, and then you started to see a lot of new fantasy. George R. R. Martin, Stephen Erickson, Glenn Cook, uh, a lot of people who built off and subverted a lot of the ideas in these classic fantasy stories who are more interested in telling more mature, sophisticated stories. So going back to these games that were released in the early 90s, which admittedly were, they were post Glenn Cook and post uh, Chronicles of Thomas Covenant, but they were before, I guess, your renaissance of new fantasy. And seeing them echo a lot of these classic fantasy ideas is just boring and underwhelming to me. Um, but if you're not, as involved in this world of literary fantasy, I can see why this would be a lot more enjoyable and less offensive as it is to me. That was hard. I said something positive, James. It was like half positive. You were like, it does something well, maybe if this condition... I, well, I guess what I'm saying is that I think that this problem I have with classic fantasy is a me problem more than a mm. game problem. It, it's not that it's telling these classical fantasy stories badly, it's that I've been overexposed to them and am looking for something else from the fantasy line. I'm saying that it's not the JRPG's fault. And I agree with that. It is interesting. We are planning to do FF7 this year at some point, um, and I think that game story doesn't quite 100% fit in with something like, you know, Lunar or Crystallis' story, mm. which are very played straight. Um, I think there's a bit more going on there, so I'll be interested to see how poorly that game does uh, in the final review. Likewise, <laughs> I think that the setup of a group of friends going on an adventure is an enjoyable one for people who are younger, who have friends, who do things together um i don't give a shit like i just am less interested in this particularly when it's a bunch of children like i just don't care uh but if you were a child you might enjoy this Th does that count as positive james i don't think that does i think that's a bit of a back <laughs> um my final oh. final positive thing come on man give me some rope you said five things uh, is that uh grinding allows players to beat the game and experience the story regardless of skill level 
Um, this is less a positive thing or a negative thing. It's more of a neutral thing. Like my preference with games is that they challenge me and then I have to overcome that challenge in some way, shape or form, whether it's through better understanding of the systems or through improving my intrinsic action ability. But uh, for some people, that's not what they're looking for in video games. And the existence of grinding, it's like a backdoor. It's a mechanism by which you can eventually experience the story in the end of the game, regardless of your skill level of the video game, because you're just going to get to a point where you can get through the game without any issues whatsoever. So that as a mechanism to just get through the game regardless could be good for some people. I agree with that. Yeah, one of the reasons why Dark Souls is so good. <laughs> Um, I think that this is only a, I, I guess, it's only a positive in the sense that it, if it exists as a backdoor, like a an optional backdoor. Yeah, when Crystalis mandated it, that was like, not okay. Gross. And I do think some games, they don't literally mandate it, but by making the power-ups that you receive from each level so substantial it can feel like it's being mandated, like it was with East Oath of Felgana, where gaining mm. one or two levels basically yep. quartered the amount of time and quadrupled your damage that you were dealing to a boss. Like, that's not mandating it, but it's making it so much easier that being underleveled is, is just incredibly painful compared to just gaining the levels. Yeah, I, I did a bit of grinding on that one, honestly. Like, especially near the end, it was... Uh... Yeah, the last boss needed some stat checking. <laughs> yeah, so um, I didn't get to five, but I did at least. Um, unfortunately, I have nothing. I can't come up with anything good to say about classic JRPG combat. I really tried, like I racked my brains, but I've got nothing. I'm sorry. I think some of the early ones are pretty simple, honestly. Like Luna's was. Um, I think you know you kind of have to push like the envelope for obscure titles to find ones that have like super like interesting complex combat just because i think a lot of the audience does just like that simple back and forth with the enemies like it's a lot of it's a big aesthetic thing right like there's music and enemy design and that kind of thing like i think people are less connecting with the gameplay than they are like you know everything else about the game the, the thing is modern jrpgs it seems do do a lot more to make the combat interesting though i know you've spoken yeah. about um cosmic star heroine i know there was a game that came out not too long ago i think it's sea of stars that everyone's gushing about even even, so, even octopath yeah. traveler 2 i think has apparently more... that game's really good i want to try that yeah the the point is that it's not that there's anything about JRPGs where bad, uninspired combat is a necessary part of the experience. Yeah. I just think that for a lot of classic JRPGs, that is that is the case. And I think it's important to admit that, you know, and not pretend it's not a thing or diminish that that's what you're doing for 80% of the game. Uh, sorry, the point of this isn't for me to rant about it, but I, I just think the combat in classic JRPGs is really bad and we should all be on the same page about it and no one should be pretending it's good personally i think old pokemon can be fun but it's like if you're doing challenge runs <laughs> interesting i have pokemon as one of the answers for the later question so we'll definitely get into that later all right so moving on um thank you patrick for that's struggling it. with <laughs> that's as far as i'm coming mate that was hard that was hard so the next one is from julian and it is do you have any games you wish you did more research on before jumping in 
particularly as it pertains to versions, ports, patches, emulation, etc. Um, and for me, I think the obvious answer to this is Gabriel Knight. I actually really wish I'd just played the original. I had done a bit of research, but I feel like I needed should have done more research and just gone with the original because I think I got, you know, a bit... I think I missed something from playing the new version of that game, which Patrick seemed to have, you know, gotten out of it. I, um, I agree. I think the best part of Gabriel Knight is the atmosphere and the aesthetic, and I guess the... It's got this like brooding atmosphere to it uh, that kind of on... descends on you over time, and the new aesthetic didn't seem like it was selling that at all. On the on the same token, though, I feel like the review's better because I did that. Like I just mm. had a worse experience and was able to acknowledge it. But you know, I probably won't play that game again, so that experience is lost forever to me. Although now. the gameplay does sound like it was way better in the newer game, so yeah. I guess a... I guess if you're looking up walkthroughs, that matters less. <laughs> but generally, we do good research when we figure figure out which version of a game to play. I haven't um, regretted too many decisions, um, you know. So yeah, so, just that one for me. So I had a couple here. Um, the first, there are two games that we played that we had severe technical issues with. They were Red Alert Two, and for me, I don't know if it was you as well, Police Noughts. Like, both of those games, I experienced a lot of crashes over the course of playing. Um, it's hard, because I did do research for both of these and just couldn't quite come to a answer that was a clean fix. But maybe I should have gone the extra step and, like, emulated a Windows 2000 machine or something for Red Alert 2. Uh, with Police Notes, I don't know what I was meant to do. I spent a lot of time in forums. But um, having your game crash every now and then is not... A fun experience like it just makes you want to quit and play something else if it's happening every hour you just want to stop and you can't do that when you're playing it for a podcast game so you just have the resentment build and build and build so uh those two uh, games Prince from a of Persia warrior within <laughs> oh yeah although it sounds like you had some funny bugs so at least you had that going for you oh yeah, yeah. that was uh that was that was something all right um and the other one i have is tribes vengeance because i played that game on hard mode and hard mode in that game is fucking stupid it triples enemy hp pools i've never played a hard mode of a game where jumping up one difficulty level triples enemy hp and i think that in the end it would have been a lot more fun to play against weaker enemies because i had to do it of do a lot of elaborate stupid cheesing to get part some parts of this game and it wasn't always in a fun way uh i know that mm. there was this one bit where you're fighting against someone one-on-one -on -one with this stupid disc weapon as part of a trial and i spent 20 minutes glitching myself up near the roof uh so that i could be in a spot where i was completely safe from the enemy and i had to do things like that otherwise i couldn't beat them so <laughs> I wish I'd done some more research on what hard modes entails instead of being, I'm a cool gamer, I'm going to play on hard mode. And Julian had a bonus question as well, um, which was also, when are you going to cover a racing game, you hacks? And we, uh, we are, I asked for some clarification on this because we have done several racing game. What Julian means by this is more of a rally racer. I don't think quite a simulation racer, but one of the races that is closer to a simulation of actual racing than the arcade races that we've been doing. Is, 
Is this is this something you'd be interested in doing, James? Uh, I wouldn't mind. I actually have never played one. Um, I basically played Need for Speed and then Kart Races and then, you know, the more arcadey stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd be totally down to pick something like that. And I would love suggestions for this one because it's a genre I know nothing about. So if we could get, you know, a couple of nice suggestions for this one, really appreciate that. We'll probably just pick one this year because um, I'd be totally happy to give one a go. Yeah, it's either this or a flight sim. I know I've heard very good things about Ace Combat. Why not um, both? Why not both? <laughs> I guess eventually, yes, but maybe not back to back. But no, I definitely would like to give like an actual sim a try because most of the games we played are definitely more on the arcade end of the spectrum. Mm. So I'm open to the idea. It's just about finding the time and and, and mindset to actually give one of these a go. Um, then cool. we've got a question from Beardy Hat. How important do you think it is to play games on their original hardware? For example, playing Half-Life on a Windows 98 PC or running your PSX through a CRT TV? Um, I think this is actually quite varied based on game and platform. Like, obviously, playing DS games on not DS hardware sucks. Same with Wii games. Um, however, you know, in terms of stuff like playing NES games on CRTs to get scan lines and that kind of thing and resolutions being correct. I think you can, you know, get that through emulation pretty easily now these days. Um, so I think it is important if you want a pure experience. I don't value that too much these days unless the game's mechanics require specific hardware, like light guns or that kind of thing. But like, oftentimes I find that not playing things on the original hardware actually improves the experience. Mm-hmm. Like. If we play a PS1 game on an emulator, we can force in a Z buffer and stop all the weird jitter in the polygons, uh, stuff like that. Ways to enhance the experience by not playing on the original hardware. So this one, honestly, I feel like it's up to a game by game basis. There are definitely titles where there's no point in playing it if you don't play on the original hardware. But, you know, those I think are kind of far and few in between. And I think... As we go on through time, this is getting less and less relevant. I think in the last, you know, five years, I don't really see any of the most recent games having this kind of issue. Yeah, generally, I think it's greatly overstated and most of the time it doesn't matter. Uh, Obviously, the exceptions you brought up, Nintendo DS games, light gun games, etc. are going to be better on original hardware. But emulation has gotten better and better and better. I do think that if you're going to emulate an old game that has scan lines, which form part of the aesthetic, then you need to play with scan lines. And we did Castlevania and Street of Age, yeah. They just look so much better with them on. Absolutely. So yeah, you should be doing what you can to get that aesthetic correct when it matters. But most of the time, this stuff doesn't matter at all. I do agree that there is a perspective of historical appreciation where you are appreciating them in their purest forms, and that is fine. I understand that that is what some people are looking for. I think for most people, you don't need a lot of that stuff to get 99.9% out of the game. Um, And I want to double down on what you said, James, about the experience not only being as good, it being better. And, And that's true of mods as well. For Metroid Prime, I played with mouse and keyboard. And for me, the experience was far better than it was playing on a bloody stupid controller with its stupid control scheme. And yes, it made the game easier, but I didn't care because it didn't sound like the combat was very fun anyway. So I think that emulation is amazing. I think 
speed up functions are amazing for something like Fire Emblem, whereas we would have normally had to play that game at 100% speed on normal hardware. I'm very, very, very pro emulation, although I do acknowledge that there are some instances where original hardware is going to be better. Alrighty, so uh, the next one comes from Sinus R2, and it is, do you wish you could stop gaming and finally put all that time going into something more useful or productive? Um, personally, I don't think it's actually possible to like put all of your time into work. I think you generally need a pretty good work-lay balance. So, you know, there's only so much time in the day that you can dedicate towards, you know, difficult, rewarding activity, and you really need to spend some of it having fun and relaxing, otherwise you just drive yourself nuts. And I've seen both sides of the equation where one of these things is way out of whack. Like, I've had friends who have been unemployed, and all they did was play games all day long, and they got so fucking bored, right? They just had nothing to do, no motivation, like, they weren't feeling like they were achieving anything, uh, they felt like, you know, they just weren't doing much with their life. And on the other hand, I've seen people like work themselves to the point where they're going crazy, like they do 12 hours every day, uh, and they just like have no time for to see friends and family or to, you know, watch a show or something, and it just drives them nuts. So I think the ideal thing to do is to find a good middle ground um, between here. And I actually think that this, like this idea where you need to balance it is one of the reasons that online like pvp multiplayer has gotten so popular in the last few years because in a sense like you can treat those games like work right like there's people who will grind ladder do replay analysis like really treat the games they're playing like they're a sport or something they take very seriously you know if they're not doing something else in their life and if they've worked hard that day they can just play them in a relaxed way instead right like they let you pick and choose how you're feeling at the time um but yeah i think it's a constant struggle i know for me in particular like finding this balance um and i do think you can you know uh, be a bit relaxed and not put a lot of your time into doing productive stuff. You'd really got to like do that if you want to get things done in your life. <laughs> um, yeah, James is right when he talks about balance. You have to have downtime. You have to have time to yourself where you're relaxing and not working. That's I think that's an important thing for most human beings. And gaming is part of that. I think that James and I and many of our listeners probably are more engaged with gaming than, than most. So it's probably a little bit more than just being relaxing. You know, it is something that we get value out of uh, in a productive sense. You know, I enjoy analyzing games, talking about these games. Hell, we've, we've got a gaming podcast, right? Like we obviously value this more than simple uh, relaxing do I wish I could do this less? Sometimes, sometimes. I mean, I definitely see what you're getting at. Like, I really started getting back into team sports again this year, and I'm absolutely loving it. I'm wondering why didn't I start this earlier? But ultimately, that wasn't because gaming was taking up too much of my time. It's that I hadn't chosen to diversify my interests to a greater degree. I think a lot of yeah. the time I was gaming by default if you will. It's like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'll play a video game and I'll I'll play it. Yeah, you know, I'll play some stupid online game for a few hours. Not even because I really wanted to, but just because I wasn't putting any thought into doing something else. So I think that there's actually more than enough time to have gaming as a core part of your life. 
It's definitely a core part of my life. I love video gaming. I love the podcast. I love talking about it. There's still plenty of time for other stuff. You just have to do less gaming as a nothing activity and fill that with a more diverse range of interests. Be more choosy about your time. But, you know, there are some times where you just want to, like, autopilot something because it's familiar and relaxing, right? Which like, is fine, right? Like, there's no yeah. harm in that. But definitely if you have a weekend and you find that you spend that entire weekend not even really enjoying yourself, just gaming for the because you, you've defaulted to it as a thing to do, you should maybe consider trying to do a different activity on one of those days. It's It's really not a question about time a lot of the time it's just about being more cognizant of how you are spending your time and if you are more cognizant of it you'll find that you feel better about how you're spending your time and there'll still be plenty of time in your life to play a lot of video games good question though um next question is from hi which of the games you've covered on the podcast do you think would benefit most from a modern remake or reimagining? For example, if it had great ideas, story, but it's dated and not fun to play, and you think it could be rescued if updated to modern standards? Okay, so I had five answers to what this, the fuck to this question. Five? Yeah. I have one because um, I'm a reasonable human being. Yeah, I wasn't going to go into details with all of them, okay. but I... So... Uh, the first was Vampire the Masquerade. I feel like that game, you know, had a bit of a rushed ending and, you know, had a really awesome foundation to which could have been an all-time great and to me in some ways still is. What do you mean? You didn't um, enjoy shooting 300 guys in the finale as you went the, up a planned warehouse? Yeah, all yeah. the sewers, yeah. Great parts. Yeah, there was a lot of great stuff in this game, a lot of mediocre stuff as well. Um, the next one was Homeworld. I love the vibe and atmosphere in this game. Hated some of the missions. Not all of them, just a couple in particular, but those two missions like killed my interest in the whole game. Mm. I felt like if they did a second pass on this, we could end up with something truly excellent. Um, and then I've got Vagrant Stories Combat, um, which I think is interesting, but wasn't too well thought out and ultimately is too easily solved once you get through and is a bit too confusing in some ways it's a bit like it's a bit of a confusing mess that once you figure it out like stays solved for the rest of the game mm -hmm. so i think that could use a bit of a touch-up um and then archimedian dynasty i would love to see it remade like as is basically but just with some you know like a fresh coat of paint um yeah that would be great actually yeah that game but yeah i wonder if they would preserve everything like the low visibility i really hope so because the low visibility is a core part of that game and i've got this asterisk at the bottom that says i would rather these game these existing games get patched than for them to remake them from scratch because i very much doubt that the things I like about all these games would be preserved if they were remade from the ground up in mm. the modern day. Interesting. That's four, isn't it? Um, yeah, uh, Space Channel 5. I think uh, oh. the the feedback on hit detection for inputting notes, I think is quite mushy and doesn't... It's quite hard to know whether you're doing it too fast or too slow sometimes. Okay, my, my um, answer is better than all of those, I'm afraid, James. Okay. My answer is Blade Runner. I think Ooh. Blade Runner has some awesome ideas, like uh, the way that the storyline branches depending on what happens, the way the story is randomized, the way, uh, you know, there are different endings depending on the actions you take, the way the story is like so fragmented and different things can occur. 
but it's a complete fucking mess. Like, it doesn't come together in any meaningful way. I think that you could definitely do a pass over this game, uh, all of its gameplay mechanics and all of its story mechanics. Uh, revisit the, is it the Han, Han Koif? I can't remember the name. The name of the machine that you use to test if someone's a replicant or not. Like, yeah. literally redo all of this shit. Write the game from scratch. Put a lot more effort into making it coherent, which probably involves, like, doubling the amount of dialogue and story writing in this game. So it's no Patrick doesn't parts. want a remake. He just wants a new Blade Runner game. Well, I think everything <laughs> about the... Point, right? I like... think... Well, no, because everything about the aesthetics of this game and the sound design and the music it's all it's all it's all so perfect it's just that and any individual moment in this game is generally really good it's just with how it all fits together it's incoherent and yeah i just think that they could use the first game like as a blueprint or or an inspiration and do it better like indie games do this with old games all the time where they use it as inspiration and they just I guess build the game from the mechanics upwards first into something a lot more sophisticated and solid. There is the seeds for something amazing here. It's just that the gameplay sucked balls. So, so I just worried they'd lose all the. You'd end up with the Gabriel Knight remake. Oh my god, that would be a complete nightmare. Don't even suggest That's what I worry that. About. Oh remake remakes scare me. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. Just. Just patch the original, just make patch it a little the better. Original. Just mod yeah, it. The problem is you need more than a patch to fix that game, I think. It needs oh, something yeah. you, a it lot more substantial. Next question is from Mayday Mima. Uh, what do you think is the biggest downfall in a series that you've covered in the pod versus their reputation nowadays? Oh, this is easy, and I'd be surprised if we have a different answer, and that answer is Goldeneye. That's not the answer I had, but I think that that's a completely valid answer. Really? Yeah. Okay, interesting. Well, GoldenEye to me was, it's in this category of games that have mass appeal, um, but not much depth to them. So the people who liked them aren't likely to keep engaging with the game as they grow up. Except like for the speedrunning. Played... The speedrunning community for this game is is nuts. I just want to put yeah. that out there. That, there's a lot but, of mechanical depth. But the average person that plays GoldenEye like played it once with friends and then never looked at it again for mm. like 30 years. And so their opinion of the game is like, you know, the opinion they had when they were a kid is like, I had a lot of fun playing this when I was a child. And it's like, that's true, but that doesn't necessarily mean you can recommend like another adult play this for the first time now and for them to have fun. And I had that experience too, which, you know, when I played multiplayer with friends on school internet, it was really fun. Um, and it was just a bit mediocre when I came back to it. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, these kinds of mass appeal, low depth games like this and Lord of the Rings, the two towers are like prime targets for this kind of phenomenon. Mm -hmm. I've kind of come at this question from a slightly different angle where I picked a game that to me has like a fervent fan community as opposed to one that children enjoyed. And that game is Silent Hill 2. I think Silent Hill 2 has a fantastic aesthetic and story and atmosphere, but I think its gameplay in every sense is fucking awful. Like the level design a lot of the time is stuff like a hospital building or an apartment complex where it's a corridor with 15 rooms on either side and only some of those doors open. And the way you progress through the mm. game is to go down and open every door. And then you have some adventure game bullshit 
uh, puzzle at the end of it. And if you've missed anything, you have to revisit all of the rooms you did over and over again. I think that the actual combat in this game is terrible and it lacks all of the resource management that Resident Evil has. What makes uh, Resident Evil not about exploring every door? Resident Evil has the level design in that game is instead of it being corridors with rooms on either side, you have rooms connected to rooms with different locks and things uh, barring your progress. Yep. And those rooms are architecturally distinct from one another. It also has far less rooms that are more interconnected to one another with more doors instead of it just being a corridor where you have a single door as the point of connection. So Resident Evil's level design is a more is a far more interesting space to exist in and to explore and to move through than it is in Silent Hill 2. I agree with that, yeah. Yeah. I think the reason I've highlighted Silent Hill 2 here is kind of it's it's kind of related to the reason you did James where the fans love the game but in some ways I think that Silent Hill 2 it's it's worse because the people who love Silent Hill 2 aren't people who played it at 10 years 10 year old with their friends and had a good time it's people who elevate Silent Hill 2 as one of their favorite games of all time, a part of fan communities and reddits and all this other stuff. And when I tell them the gameplay is fucking awful and here's why, they tell me I'm wrong, that I don't understand, that I'm being stupid. And that's kind of a bit what I get from the JRPG community in some ways. But with Silent Hill 2, it's all the more atrocious because there is a game that came out at a similar time to Silent Hill 2 that has fucking excellent survival horror gameplay that is considered one of the best games of all time it's so similar to it but it does everything right and that game is resident evil but the silent hill 2 fans still refuse to acknowledge that the gameplay in this game sucks dick and it pisses me off james it, it really annoys me that we have a game where there is literally a game in the same genre released at the same time and yet the fans of silent hill 2 cannot acknowledge that the gameplay in that game is as bad as it is when there's such a shining example of how to do it correctly sitting right next to it. So It does have a good story, though. <laughs> it does have a good story, and I don't want to downplay that. The story is amazing. But in terms of like how people talk about Silent Hill 2, how people revere this game, compared to the experience of playing it, there's like a substantive gap there, right? It's There's like this thing where if you like a game for... Like, I like it because of the story. That makes me feel... I don't know. I find I have this. I don't know if you probably don't. It sounds like you don't get this. But, like, I like the gameplay. Like, I'm more tolerant to the gameplay because I like everything else. I mean, you should be tolerant of the more tolerant of the experience as a whole, I guess. But I don't yeah. think you should be tolerant of the gameplay. I think that you should admit to the gameplay sucking, but you liking it in spite of it. Uh, which is something that I don't think a lot of people do or are interested in doing or hearing opinions to the, to that extent. They're just like, this is a thing I like and I like it, uh, which is to me just a less interesting way, less sophisticated way of thinking about video games. I don't know. I feel like a lot of the people who will argue in that way that you're described aren't that invested in the medium. So they'll come at you with this perspective that it seems so pointless to be talking about this to begin with. It's just a video game. <laughs> like that's the that's what you'll get hit with, right? I, I get. I guess the thing for me is that I think that most of the fans of Resident Evil can admit 
the story of that game is kind of schlocky and stupid, right? And they yeah. they can enjoy it, but it's schlocky and stupid, and the you know the dialogue's terrible, right? But I feel like for a lot of Silent Hill two fans, they won't admit the same about the gameplay of that precious game. So for me, that that struck me as a big uh, reputation gap. And of course, honorable mention to all the JRPGs. That that feels like uh, a notable thing to mention. But I really want to concentrate on Silent Hill 2 because of the fierce backlash I got when I suggested that the gameplay wasn't good in the game. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Have you played this video game? I get that vibe with some genres mm. in general. And it's funny, you know, like when we played Armored Core 1, and you and I were quite low on it and criticized the gameplay, and we posted the podcast to the Armored Core 1 subreddit, no one was telling us we were idiots. They were saying, oh, you should try this Armored Core. It improves on the gameplay in this way. It was remarkable. You you get radically different responses mm. from from different communities, and I did not like the Silent Hill 2 community very much. Anyway, I'll get off my high horse now. To move on, we have a question from Beardy Hat. Uh, what is the best gaming platform and why is it PC? <laughs> I mean, it just is because the PC is not only the uh, platform where you can use a mouse and keyboard, which is the best kind of controller that you can have because a keyboard has a lot of keys and a mouse is far better than a control stick. It also is every platform in one because of emulation. So I don't think there's any doubt here. I mean, you can plug in a controller to a PC as well. It's You can't really plug in a mouse and keyboard to any of the old controllers. I think having, yeah, I think having PC and a Switch at the moment is the best. Like, Although Steam Deck is also a Switch game. Steam James. Deck, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I mean, it's that. not quite got the, the plug and play thing that the Switch has That's going true. on. Like the yeah. docking and the, yeah. Wait, doesn't uh, it? So I thought the Steam Deck did have that. Does it? Yeah, I I'm don't pretty sure think it I've does. I've seen it do that. Mm, I thought it was one piece. Maybe a, it does. A Steam Deck is a PC, so you can just plug it into a TV and then. Oh, but the, does the controllers come off? Uh, I don't think so. But you know, yeah, that's what I meant. Oh, uh, yeah. okay, sure. I, I mean, it's pretty close, right? And a Steam Deck emulates a Switch at a higher spec than what the Switch allows. So like, I see. Yeah, I can see arguments for buying a Switch and a Steam Deck in the modern day i can't like see an argument for buying an xbox or a playstation if you're right poor. now you, maybe sorry not if you're poor that's a poor way of expressing it if you i'm sure there's some budgetary reason where a playstation hits the correct price point for the for its power point. It's like if there yeah if it's like if there's some exclusive that's like you just have to play and it's unfortunately on one of those consoles sure that rarely happens nowadays though. it really it's happens like bloodborne <laughs> Is the is the only uh, game I can think of. Hollow Knight Silk Song exclusive <laughs> to Xbox Two. <laughs> oh man, can you imagine? Oh, how mad would you be? It'd make them so much money though. People would buy. <laughs> Not even on Game Pass, just on Xbox. Two hundred dollars. Next question from Biddy Hat is: Has doing the podcast changed your tastes? Yeah, I basically prioritize genres that I've never played before now more than ever. Like, if there's a game doing something I've never seen before, I'm like, I want to play that. Like, we've played so many games in the past five years, right? Like, I feel like I've played 10 games of every genre, right? Mm. So every time I see something new and weird, I'm like, I want to try that. 
even if it's bad, we can at least talk about it. Like, mm. you know, that's the kind of thing that really jumps out to me now. Um, but other than that, I think the show made me realize how much I like shoot 'em ups and racing games and like arcade like flight sim kind of games um i had not really had those on my radar and now like i fucking love them all (laughs) i uh, i really agree with you on that first point james like i um each year i put a bunch of games on my steam's uh wish list and my sister goes through and buys me some as my christmas present and uh i'm looking through the games she bought me and it's like nays or no which is a slavic walking sim in a slum apartment i'm like man i'm so keen to try this <laughs> and, <laughs> and like uh fashion bachelor which is a puzzle game with playstation one graphics and then there's this other one that is like a dead mmo emulated and you walk through the remains of this dead mmo and i'm like man i'm so keen to try these games out i'm like yeah. man i don't think i would have been as excited for these games five years ago that i no. am now <laughs> i think in general i'm just a lot more open-minded than i used to be um and i've really enjoyed being exposed to different kinds of games that i never would have played otherwise and yeah that's one of the benefits of choosing like alternating right yes like, like there's just games i would literally never pick that you did and vice versa yeah and it's really cool because you get to see and understand why people like these games and i guess appreciate them on their own merits sometimes that's very challenging to do but i think over time i've got better and better at doing so so yeah i would say that my gaming tastes have solidified in some ways like i have a much clearer understanding of what i personally appreciate and enjoy in video games for my own personal enjoyment like i could just articulate it better but i think that i've also expanded my horizons and can still get enjoyment from genres that i never would have really invested any time in to begin with so the podcast has been really good for me in terms of uh developing my palette as a uh, video gamer sorry yeah so i agree with that um i actually feel like i like jrpgs more because we get to play them so infrequently (laughs) (laughs) oh that's awful (laughs) it's so funny um next question from inept sparrow when are you going to do dragon warrior or dragon quest one uh funnily enough um and my answer is I I would be afraid to pick this game. Never. I think it would I think I'm it would sorry, push Patrick Barry, off but, the deep end. But, but never. I'm uh, listen, I I don't think I could play this game. I have seen James and I have spoken a lot about RuneScape, which is a game that is just grinding for the sake of grinding. And that is a game where you can spend 12 hours in a row just making logs okay. and putting them okay. on fire. Okay. I've got I've got such a good RuneScape story, right? So my friend plays um, in the downtime between, like, he'll be playing other games and in the downtime he'll just sit on RuneScape and cut logs or whatever. And the other day, maybe, let's say two weeks ago, he said, this guy keeps trying to talk to me in-game, right? And then two days later, we're, we're in Discord and he says, man, this guy's still trying to talk to me. Three days later, man, this guy's still trying to talk to me and i'm like wait have you been sitting in that same spot cutting wood for he's like yeah two weeks <laughs> and i'm like what and then this continued for like another week until he finally server swapped and then continued to cut logs in that same spot for a week and i was like man runescape's built different you know <laughs> and the thing is 
I think that there's a lot of great RuneScape content out there. Both James and I really like uh, Settled, particularly his Swampletics series. It's like a fascinating look into a lot of the mechanics and optimization in a weird situation. It's quite cool. But, the actual act of playing it, however. But the actual act of playing it just sounds like a nightmare. I mean, and I, from what I understand about Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy 1, there's not much difference from playing those games versus playing RuneScape. Like there's I feel just like we could play FF one maybe. There's or just three. not not really <laughs> anything interesting going on in a gameplay sense whatsoever, and there's not much of a story in any sense whatsoever. Maybe it would get lots of views though, just to listen to you getting mad. Uh, but I mean, I don't even know if I could summon muster the courage to get mad about it again, James. Like it's just so obvious what my reaction would be to that game. It's like I can review it without even playing it. Yeah, I think just, you just just re-listen to. I'll just go through Lunar and edit like the name. Like, every time name. you say Lunar, it says Dragon, <laughs> Dragon Quest. Quest. I think that if we are to do another JRPG, and we should do one, it should be one that does something different. Because I don't think I intrinsically hate this genre. I just hate how it's executed in a lot of the classic JRPGs. So I think doing an episode on this, like we could, but it would have a very predictable outcome. And yeah, maybe it'd be funny again, me getting mad, but. I just don't know if that's the ideal outcome for this show and what I want to spend an episode doing. So I don't think Dragon Warrior is on the agenda anytime soon. Apologies, Inep Sparrow, but maybe we'll do something that you'll enjoy regardless. Next question comes from Scion Storm, uh, who was on our show, uh, Drew, from WDGR Podcast, which is all finished now. And we did Streets of Rage 2, and we spoke to him a lot and actually played with him when we did Street Fighter 2. So thank you for the question, Drew. Um, if you could do another podcast, what would it be about? Can be gaming, non-gaming, or both? Um, I've got a few answers for this one. Interested to hear your take, though. So I think that my fa- one of my favorite things to experience is new people getting into something I'm passionate about. So uh, I've said it before, but one of my favorite things is being on the sidelines as someone new experiences Dark Souls for the first time and kind of nudging them and helping them along the way. I I love it. I love seeing what it was like because it's also kind of reflective of what my experience were like and getting having someone get to experience it for the first time, you kind of can live vicariously through them. Uh, So if I were to do another podcast, it wouldn't even need to be gaming or non-gaming specific but it would be related to that concept in some some way, shape, or form. For example, this year I started playing volleyball, and I think that I would really have enjoyed doing a podcast with a volleyball expert as week by week I relate my experience playing volleyball for the first time. And I mm. think that a lot of volleyball players would enjoy that experience as well because getting new people involved with something you love is a fantastic feeling. So... I would say something in that sphere, it doesn't need to be volleyball, it could be nearly anything, as long as it's something that either I'm as a new person and getting involved with, or I am an expert is getting someone else. For me, I think I would probably do a show about like card games or something similar, and I think I would want to do a very like statistics and research kind of based show where you like maybe analyze tournament results and card choices in certain decks and discuss that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be really fun and different to what we've been doing on this show. Um, I've got a lot of experience playing card games over these past like decade or so. And have listened to like a lot of reviews and that kind of thing. And this kind of discussion I find to be pretty interesting. 
Um, it's also everything... got a good community built in. All of the spikes who are in, interested and want to do well, uh, you provide them a valuable resource, right? Yeah, like I think providing that as a valuable resource, it does make like I think our sh- our show here um, is something that you can listen to like in ten years for some of these episodes. I think those kinds of shows where it's like the the episode is only relevant for that like one week right mm. <laughs> like nobody will go back and listen to that in the future they just don't need to um other than that maybe like reviews for anime or something or uh or a show that where you know we did a tabletop game and talked about what happened in it um like a you know like a role-playing game um something like that I think, though, like a stats kind of thing would be really fun. Um, next question, also from Science Storm. What is your gaming environment like? I'm talking cozy factors like chair, desk, monitor size, etc. Paint a picture of what it looks like when you sit down to play. So I've got a pretty standard, oh, not super standard setup. I've got my desk and on the back are two monitor arms holding up uh, a normal like 1080p monitor and then like a 2K monitor, which is much bigger. Um, I've got a bunch of audio equipment for my, you know, my microphone that's on a boom arm that's plugged into. And then I have a bunch of audio equipment that lets me pipe audio into one set of headphones from multiple sources. Um, at my old job, something I used to like doing was um, having, because I'd sit on the phone a lot talking to customers, um, and sometimes you just sit there with nothing to do while the customer checks something. And you can have, you know, the music from your Switch going into the same set of headphones as well, <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, very, very handy. Uh, very nice to be able to sit uh, in Discord or something talking to people while your handheld also goes into the same set of headphones. Um, you know, being able to pipe three computers, two handhelds all at the same time is just awesome. Highly recommend that. I kind of want to get a standing desk and change my chair because I feel like I don't know, my back gets a bit sore at this one, but, you know, other than that, it's pretty good. My setup is incredibly basic. In fact, I'm, I I feel like a lot of people are about to shoot me when I admit this, but I only have a single monitor. What? I know, right? Um, I've got oh, my... I've got two, and I was like, I need a third. <laughs> I've got my uh, tower, and I've got a bunch of controllers plugged into it. I've got my microphone and audio equipment, a lot less complicated than James's, luckily, because he does all the editing, which I'm eternally grateful for. And then I've got my Switch kind of docked on the other side. Also, I am afraid to admit I have several cups which should be in the dishwasher and several empty coffee cups which should be in the bin uh, around my monitor. I, I, I know that, you know, clean workstation, clean life. I guess I have a bit of a messy life. Because those are they should not be there, but they're currently occupying that space. Yeah, so. I've got a bunch of cups too. Yeah. You know, a bunch of like you know vitamin D things and that kind of thing. Deodorant sitting there. Yeah, so it's so it's not a, it's not perfectly <laughs> clean. It's not a spotless workstation, but at least it's not a disaster. Mm. Alrighty, uh, next question. Um, is there a genre you would? This is also from Science Storm. Is there a genre you'd like to spend more time with for the show? Is there a console you'd like to focus more on? Why? uh rpgs are the obvious answer to this one longer story driven titles um i kind of want to try some more like really old games like snes era but i also kind of don't you know (laughs) like if you pick a bad one it's going to be a bit boring that week maybe some handheld stuff maybe some more recent things i don't know mostly more rpgs (laughs) yeah it's funny i kind of am roughly in the same area more hefty stories like i love stories i like books i like you know visual novels 
love Disco Elysium. And unfortunately, because we tend to pick shorter games, they generally have less complex and developed, well-developed stories. So we get to talk about stories less. And I really enjoy when James and I get to talk about a game with a complex and well-developed story. Uh, it's hard finding games that have super interesting stories that are short. They do exist, but they're few and far between. So I guess that's what I'd like to focus on. And the last question from Storm: is there something from your gaming experience that you consider a gap? Maybe a console, a game you never played, etc.? And I have a super easy answer to this. Uh, I never owned an original Game Boy, so I missed out on the first wave of Pokemon. And I feel like I missed something there with my friends who all like loved it to bits. Um, and I never really got to play it until emulation came around a few years later. <laughs> yeah, for me, I feel like I have big gaps. Console games and uh, handheld games. Also, James and I, I, I believe, are from... I, I, I never... No one I knew ever had a Super Nintendo. That was kind of before our time it was more playstation 1 and nintendo 64s are the earliest consoles i can remember i got all my consoles late so i got a playstation 1 when the playstation 2 had been out for a couple of years i got a ps2 when the ps3 released um i never had a handheld thing but i did emulate it a bit so generally my knowledge and experience of that whole era is quite poor Whereas PC games, I've got a far more robust knowledge base. But, you know, there are gaps all over the place and classics that I wish I'd played. Although the podcast has done a good job, I think, addressing a lot of those gaps and getting us more familiar with different genres and styles. So, um, yeah, I would say in general, when I see a lot of retro gaming discussion, a lot of it seems to be focused around Super Nintendo games, which I just have zero knowledge or experience with whatsoever so i feel weirdly left out and weirdly blinded by that uh that period yeah agree with that so many gaps but less gaps than we had five years ago hey james yeah definitely (laughs) slowly filling it in so next questions are from bust o wallop he asks is there a game from the past five to ten years that you have been meaning to get to but just haven't found the time for one reason uh this is a gigantic list, actually, because it basically includes every, like, AAA launch in the past, like, five years since <laughs> we started the show. Like, uh, Tears of the Kingdom this year, Kingdom Hearts 3, The World Ends With You 2, God of War Ragnarok, uh, Octopath Traveler 2. Like, there's hundreds that I'm probably missing, right? Dude, like, part I of me like... is so happy that <laughs> I got to play all these retro games instead of those, though. Like, I'm yeah. so happy that I'm doing this podcast instead of just consuming AAA garbage. Yeah, I think there's good titles, though, that, you know, we're kind of missing out on. But, I mean, I can get to those later. Also, what are those games like? Like, really? Yeah, sure. You probably play those games and enjoy them. But isn't it so much more interesting to play some janky game from 25 years ago? I don't know. Like, I think that a lot of those games are kind of streamlined in terms of... Are you saying it's it's more interesting to play Crystalis than Tears of the Kingdom? Uh, maybe not Tears of the Kingdom. Tears of the Kingdom does a lot of cool stuff. So that is a good point. They're not all like that. But not, it's not all, you know, you know, I, I don't mind so much. I'm not like mad that I missed these, but mm. there's some that, you know, I don't, I know I won't have time for. Um, I, I have an answer for this and it's a game that I've tried to play twice and it's near Automata. Um, interesting. Yeah. I just can't fall in love with this game i'm really confused because everyone i've spoken to either loves this game or hates it and for me my experience has been a solid like six to seven out of ten 
every time I've tried it in every way, shape, and form. Mm. Um, and I just can't fall in love with it or get super engaged with it. It's just filled with shit, like shitty MMO quests and things like that, where I'm like, why is this here? Like, why why is the why is the game a semi open world? Like, why do they make you repeat? chunks of the game i have this feeling that it's one of those games that you don't get till you finish like the end yeah but i mean just i just don't know why it's filled with all of this stuff when some of that stuff to me is so obviously bad and some of that stuff is so obviously good like just get rid of that bad stuff and i can see why this why people would love this game so much but it's one of those things again where i feel like people downplay the bad aspects of this game which do form you know like you're spending a meaningful amount of time engaging with this stuff so i just don't feel incentivized to push through the bad to get to the good and from what i've read about the good it's maybe potentially a little overblown i don't know i would like to get to the end of this someday just to see if my opinion changes but i'm skeptical it will because i'm pretty hardened to a lot of the emotional ploys that tricks that games play nowadays Mm, yes well for me, the best emotional trick a video game can pull is with its soundtrack, which uh, gets me you know, every time to this day. Um, Patrick picked a game from his top five. I think I'll pick one from the game I've been playing recently, Tevi, which has been just a banger. Uh, I love basically every song on this soundtrack. They actually have a bunch of licensed music, um, which, you know, for streaming purposes, they even, you know, did the songs from scratch so that you could... You know, if you're streaming on Twitch, replace uh, all the licensed music with originals from the soundtrack, which is a bit odd because I actually like uh, a couple of versions of the original songs better than the licensed tracks. So we're going to go with one of those, actually, uh, which will be the theme from The Plagued Forest, which is Venom streamer version. So here it is. So next question is also from Buster Wallop. Is there a game other than Aquinox that you absolutely loved as a kid and have since gone back and found mediocre or outright bad? Well, to me, the answer is easily um, Peter Jackson's King Kong, the official game of the movie Gamer Edition. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
and then stuff like we already mentioned RuneScape, which I played a lot as a kid, and now it's like agonizing to play. There was an RPG on the PS2 called Summoner 2, which I remember liking a lot, and then finding it a bit of a chore to slog through um, when I tried to replay it. Um, but not that many, honestly. For me, the answer is Pokemon. I oh. don't think the old Pokemon games are like very good video games. There's not, there's nothing really challenging about them and their systems are very simple um and as a kid i loved them because i had my charmander that was the only pokemon i trained and it didn't matter and the game let me progress through it you have like zero value for that kind of thing these days right that's the thing if you made me play pokemon today and i had never played it before i really think that i would be raging and ranting about it like if i'd never been exposed to it i played it for the first time I don't think I'd enjoy it very much, and I think I'd be tearing it to shreds. You have no lens other than the, like, mechanical, like, this is how the game plays, right? Like, the yeah. this, like the music and the aesthetic and the vibe and all that, like, is way... Because that's so important to so many people. Like, the gameplay just does not matter to a lot of people if all of, all of that other stuff is right. Pokemon had this thing when you were a kid. You could put yourself in the shoes of Ash Ketchum so much more easily than pretty much any other fantasy series you care to name right yeah. like maybe harry potter is closer but harry potter and pokemon you you were he was a kid going on an adventure where he got to catch pokemon and he never stopped being a kid catching pokemon it wasn't like dragon ball z or whatever or some other weird series where it was or sailor moon it was it felt achievable and real in your head as a kid and i used to imagine myself in in the shoes of that person but today it's just not there you know that childhood is dead and behind me as it should be <laughs> so i think that if i were to assess pokemon today that i wouldn't be so high i also want to say it's kind of like frustrating because pokemon has particularly modern pokemon the mechanics in the game are very sophisticated and interesting and the ROM hacks people have created are very well done and the PvP scene is quite interesting but the base games have, really don't do anything with it or they do very little with it. But they they hmm. need to make a hard mode. I don't know why they haven't yet. It's mind-boggling. Just admit that the audience has young kids and older people as part of your audience nowadays and cater to them to some degree. Uh, but the old games don't do that. I think I would probably like playing ROM hacks, though. I kind of tempted to boot one up and give it a go. They're good. Um, I, I tried one for Pokemon Emerald, and it was very good. Pretty well balanced, and it was very enjoyable because I had to, like, I'd go to a fight I'd lose, and I would be scrolling through my list of TMs and items and figuring to out, figure out how yeah, to, yeah i'd be like okay i'm gonna teach this pokemon this tm so that when they run in this or you know changing the order in which your pokemon go out um it disables all in item use like item use in battles as well which is huh. how the competitive scene works but you can still equip items to pokemon uh, you know yeah. so you have berries and different things and so you'd be like okay this pokemon uses sleep so i'm gonna put it give them a berry that auto wakes them up when they go for the sleep move and you would I, basically regularly in between battles i was metagaming and you know changing pokemon out sometimes because they they'd be more effective even if they're a couple of levels lower the the rom hacks you have to engage with the systems in order to beat them 
and that's what I wanted from Pokemon. And the ROM hacks the limit. I'll definitely have to pick that up at some point. Um, so there's a secondary part of this question from Buster Wallop, which is uh, the inverse of this question. So is there a game you weren't so high on as a kid, but now have gone back and actually is pretty good after all? I have an answer to this, and that answer is Quake. Quake is a game I didn't hate as a kid, but I definitely put it below Duke Nukem 3D. I put it below Doom 1 and 2. It was a game I played and thought was all right, but didn't love. When I played Quake for the podcast, I adored it. I thought it was one of the best shooters I'd played. I think that the level design being like layered and, and vertical is super cool. I think that the way that every single enemy has a projectile attack that you can dodge makes uh, dodging those attacks really fun. I think that the movement in Quake is awesome. I love bunny hopping around and grenade jumping and messing around with the movement. It just feels satisfying to move around the levels. And I think that the atmosphere of the game is actually still pretty solid to this day. It is very brown, um, but it does have a particular kind of atmosphere, right? Like there's (laughs) no denying that there is an atmosphere to Quake with the music and the kind of uh lovecraftian symbology throughout the game that gives it a particular feel that i think is much better than doom or duke nukem 3d's more colorful palette so yeah quake went from being an okay game to being i think the most enjoyable uh vanilla pc shooter from the late 90s Mm. my answer to this question was actually psychonauts um i thought it was like enjoyable enough the first time i played it but like i really don't think i was getting as much out of the story as i did when we did it for the show mm-hmm. and lots of the like little bits of narrative kind of made more sense to me than it did when i was younger um this time around when i played it i loved it to bits like every second was pure joy like every time there was something funky like the writing is really funny um, finding stuff like that little corner of that lady's mind with the burning children mm. and just being like, what the fuck? You know, everything was like way better on this second playthrough. So I'm really glad we redid it again. Also, it's just I secretly just... a Banjo-Kazooie sequel. Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and 3D platformers are great. So, you know, so yeah, excellent that one. And maybe Archimedean Dynasty. I think I tried that once as a kid and then gave up because it was too hard to control. Yeah. Particularly if you enjoyed Aquanauts, it would have felt awful. Yeah, I got I got filtered, but <laughs> now I realize it's superior as an adult. <laughs> um, so the next question is from Hopefully So, and it goes, Hi Patrick and James, thank you both for another fun year of gaming. You're very welcome. Is there a preferred length of game you find yourselves interested in? Uh, do you have different preferences for games you'll play on the podcast as opposed to your own time? Do you prefer games with a finite story or something more ended in terms of completion? Um, so for me, I tend to find that whatever we're doing for the show, I like doing the opposite in my free time for variety. So that tends to be like long time sync games that we just would never do on the show, right? Like the kinds of games that suck me in are the ones that I can dump like literally like 2000 hours into. Man, that's such a good answer. I agree with that. Uh, like, I, I could never play, you know, we'd never do something like that for the show or something that's, like, really narrative-driven. I think games recently ha- tend to have stronger narratives than they did, you know, 20-plus years ago. So I tend to find myself more able to connect with the stories in newer games um, sometimes. 
they're not usually it's normally like maybe in the indie space that that happens they're not normally with triple a titles which i think have pretty you know you know not exciting stories if you've experienced a lot of game stories before so i, I tend to play lots of ongoing live service games like been playing lots of Yu-Gi-Oh online been playing lots of path of exile been playing lots of dota that kind of thing um and then lots of shoot 'em ups too mm. uh, i've gotten pretty good at them i think by now <laughs> yeah so so for me i would say that i do end up going for shorter games and more unique experiences when we're not playing games for the podcast like not too long ago i played through uramungi generation which is a photography puzzle game oh, i saw that yeah. set in you know a version of new zealand's i don't know neo-punk future where you know there's some kind of alien invasion happening it's um it's a weird ass game and it was all the better for the fact that it was short and it was unique and it was weird and i like playing games like that because you get everything out of them in five to ten hours there's no wasted space in them and then you can move on to the next weird and strange experience um as opposed to spending 40 hours on a triple a experience where you kind of get one variation on the same experience over and over again but like james at the same time i am consuming some popcorn content playing counter-strike 2 with friends um playing roguelike games like slay the spy into the breach finding of isaac that i can kind of just do a run and be happy um and i've been playing a lot of chess lately i know chess isn't exactly a video game but you can just play a game of blitz chess which is five minutes aside which can take anywhere from you know two minutes to 10 minutes, depending on how quickly one of you blunders. And that's a good, it's kind of not that far removed from other video games in terms of giving me a quick gaming fix. So I, the big answer is both, but definitely a preference towards shorter indie games. Yeah, I definitely prefer the games that make my brain tick when I'm not playing them. Like if I'm thinking about the game while I'm at work, like that's the game that's gonna make me go home and play it, right? Like even if I, like often if i play a game that's really good like disco elysium's a great example of this that game is brilliant um but i have not finished it because i don't spend my time figuring out like thinking about how to break it when i'm not you know playing it so you know if i spend all day at work thinking about how to break this build and path of exile when i come home i'm gonna try that you know even though I'll probably have more fun if I play Disco Elysium, right? Yeah, um, Disco is, like, dense. I, I feel like that is a game you can play for 30 minutes and actually get a lot out of it uh, yeah. from a story perspective, dialogue perspective. Mm, yeah. I need to finish it. You should. It's <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so this next question is a bit of a funny one. <laughs> I think we, we have a similar answer. The question is from Yorkie Deval again. And he asks, what is an opinion about video games that you have always wanted to defend, but nobody has asked about? And I struggle to think of a strong, you know, uh, opinion that's controversial that I have that I haven't managed to sneak into discussion somewhere with somebody. <laughs> yeah, for me, I don't even fucking sneak it in. In fact, I don't know if people hate me for this, but it's one of my features. I love talking about anything, whether it's the role of the monarchy in Australia, the value of JRPGs, 
And if no one asks me about it, I'm going to find an opening to introduce him to the conversation. If you think this guy rants about JRPGs, man, you should ask him about the monarchy. I know, I love it. But, you know, it's it's funny <laughs> because, for example, um, I was asking my friends, hey, have you guys ever played Final Fantasy VII before? Because it's been suggested as a game to us on our podcast. And they're like, yeah, I've played it once before. And the other guy's like, yeah, it's like, why do you ask? I'm like, well, let me tell you my opinions about JRPGs. Listen, if there's something I want to talk about video games, I am going to create an opening. I'm not going to wait for someone to ask me. I'm going to create a conversational rhetoric trick so that I can have my rant and so everyone can listen to me. So, uh, yeah, I have never had this problem in my life. If there's something I wanted to defend or attack, it's going to happen one way or another. If, yeah, if I have this problem, it's because I like this really specific thing. I am really into this particular deck in Yu-Gi-Oh! or this particular build in Path of Exile. And I want to talk to somebody about these choices that gave me a 5% damage increase, you know? <laughs> like, this kind of, like, overly specific, basically, like, engineering tier talk that there's, like, no one else on the internet to talk to, the, to about this, right? Like, none of my friends will be playing any of these things. Uh, so that's the kind of thing that, you know, I'd kind of like to talk to, about, and I guess that kind of goes back to that discussion about doing a stats-based podcast or something. I want to talk about nitty-gritty things like that that, you know, uh, it's hard to have a conversation about without it derailing. Like, a good example on this show is, like, when we were talking about, when I was talking about Tevi earlier, if I wanted to talk about, like, if we were reviewing that on this show, I feel like if I wanted to knuckle down on one mechanic in particular, we would circle back around to arguing about whether it's good to be that complex in the first place right <laughs> yeah it's difficult right because yeah. you, there's something you really want to talk about but someone's coming at it from a different perspective so yeah it can be hard to knuckle down on that unless you've discussed it beforehand and we tend to prefer to keep our conversations a bit more free-flowing so that i mean as a consequence because it's not as i think rehearsed, we did i think we did tend to let's say hyper focus on little things at the start of the show we do that less these days mm. like i feel like i feel like it was in dark messiah we was talking about one thing specifically for like 20 minutes or something <laughs> i mean system shock one we spent a lot of time talking about the ui i would say with good reason but um yeah. i think having both is good but there can be a danger when you hyper focus that you kind of lose your audience because you know, we've got no visual, it's purely audio. You want you want a bit of both. They don't care about that thing you care about, like you're fucked. <laughs> you have to know how to relate it to the bigger picture, right? Um, yeah, so I would say, yeah, I, I think that the internet also in general just provides a lot of forums that probably didn't exist 20 years ago. Um, Discord is very good. There are playthrough game club groups that you can join. Um, there are There's Reddit. You know, there's specific forums for games. There's a lot of different fan communities where if there is something you care about deeply, I think you can usually find someone on the wider internet who also cares about it deeply. And you can have that argument if you want to, if you try hard enough. Here's one opinion I just thought of that I'd like to share. I think um, if you go to the official Discord of a video game, you are going to get better discussion like there than you will on like Twitter, Reddit, wherever. Uh, don't worry with Twitter. Twitter is garbage. It's garbage. Any kind of yeah. discussion, I don't even bother anymore. Yeah, but generally, like, 
I don't know. I, and I think Reddit kind of people hyper focus on negative things too much. Um, yeah, it depends think, on the subreddit. I feel like it goes through cycles. You have people who are hyper focused on the negative, then people who are like, why is everyone so negative? And then everyone's like, why is everyone so positive? I'm like, I just want to shoot everyone in the subreddit. It drives me yeah, nuts. It, it gets it gets very bubbly, like. Uh, uh, yeah, and it, it, they get they get stuck on but, ideas. But the for thing a long is, it will eventually trend upwards. Like, for example, the Baldur's Gate three subreddit when that game came out, I was monitoring it week to week as I was playing the game, and it went in those cycles of this game sucks for X, this game is great for Y, with both responding to one another. But I bet you a million dollars if you go there now, there won't be any. No one who's still on there will have anything negative to say, and that will become what the subreddit is. Uh, positive bubble of feelings about the subreddit because if you're if you're not a fan you're not going to hang around right i've experienced the opposite actually Weird. okay like the fans who hang around like specifically for like ongoing games like, oh it's just yeah if it's different because people are constant the people who care about the game want it to be better yes. so are constantly pointing out the negatives no right? no you're right if it's some kind of live service game you're 100 percent correct i guess i'm talking more about single player games oh um, if it's a single player game it'll be dead in like two months yeah. until the sequel's on its way. <laughs> yeah but the actual official discords you get like quality discussion like yep. every day it's so D much discord's better. the best place for actual discussion um the only problem is i find some discord servers move too fast uh yeah and that's me being old you know i came from an era where forums were the typical speed so you might have a day or two between replies and that'd be fine but you know you might have 15 replies to a thing in a day whatever it'd be pretty slow paced discord you can sometimes come back and there's been 1500 messages since you were last on and yeah it, it you, you kind of lose the thread so you kind of need to find the right size discord server which can be tricky <laughs> yeah i agree with that so next one is from hodor gorgon and his question is how are you guys aside from the podcast how's your year been thanks for asking mate um i've been good i've been applying for a government job over the past uh, eight months or so it's a very involved process but it seems to be going well i'll know more going into the new year but as part of that process i have started going to the gym regularly i'm participating in volleyball as i mentioned earlier which is team sports which gets me a lot of cardio um, so I'm feeling fitter and healthier and pretty positive about my future. So uh, this has been a fantastic year for me. I've uh, enjoyed it. Thanks for asking. And um, hopefully it's been that positive energy has been flowing back or negative energy in the case of JRPGs has been flowing back into the podcast appropriately. Uh, <laughs> yeah, mine's been good too. I actually like I left a job that I'd been at for about four or five years um, to move on to something a bit bigger in scope. Um, Still doing software engineering, um, but at a much bigger company now. Much more interesting work, a lot more motivated. Um, you know, people in my team, I think it's very nice being in a team full of people who really want to do a good job. Um, not that that wasn't true at my old job. It was just when you have, you know, it's different when you're a smaller company, uh, there's a lot more time pressure when you're at a bigger company and there's, you know, you're working on a new product that's not out yet and there's not that much pressure to get it out as fast as possible. It's nice. You get to really focus on doing a good job. So that's been great. 
you know, I've been liking this new release schedule. I've managed to have a lot more time to myself recently. Um, when Baldur's Gate 3 came out, we did a I did a playthrough of that with some friends, and then after that, everyone was like, I kind of feel like playing tabletop now. So we started, um, you know, doing a few like actual tabletop campaigns, both online and in person. So that's been really fun. I think I've managed to talk to people a lot more. I think year one and two of doing the podcast in particular, I think I was under such time pressure from not being very efficient with my time that. I kind of like disappeared um, from some of my friend circles, but I think the balance is much better now. So, you know, we're doing really well. Thanks for asking and hope that you and everyone else who's listening is also doing well. Um, next question is from Julian. How many cups slash glasses have you accidentally knocked all over your desk? Um, yesterday when the power was out and we went to someone else's house for Christmas lunch, I immediately knocked a cup of water all over the floor <laughs> and on the host and I felt like an idiot. Um, my own desk, I have done that so many times in the past that I am extremely conscious of whether or not cups are in certain places on my desk. <laughs> so I haven't done it anywhere near as many times, but I thought it was worth bringing up the time I did it while we were recording a podcast. Uh, so I knocked it over and my keyboard was fucked, as is usual what happens when you soak a keyboard with water. So basically it was just automatically writing a bunch of things and I couldn't stop it you know it just it was just spamming letters but i could still record and if i was in audacity i had no problems recording it was just a mission at the conclusion of the podcast to actually save that audio file because when i tried to do anything it was just spamming letters and if i didn't press save fast enough it wouldn't work eventually with enough trial and error i did make it work and i was able to successfully export the audio file I took the keyboard out, left it in the sun to dry, and all was right in the world. But it was a little touch and go, because by the time when I spilled the water, we were like three quarters of the way through the podcast, and we certainly did not want to uh, redo it all over again. If I'm eating at my desk and I've got a video open that I'm really keen to watch and I just cooked dinner, mm. the thing that's happened to me the most is have the plate on my desk, but like the end of the plate is kind of hanging over the edge. So when I put the fork and knife there, it like tips. And I've been like, I'm an idiot. Why did I put it there? And there's just like half a steak over me. I agree you are an idiot. I don't know why you would do that ever. <laughs> it only happens like when I'm like barely paying attention to the food. I'm like, I want to watch this video. My advice is to just not do that. Just don't put it over the edge. Yeah. Got too many cups and stuff. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question is from Hexity, and they ask, have you seen a system or mechanic in a game you've played for the show and wish it had been fleshed out? Definitely. Uh, the survival aspect of Pathologic 1, uh, the strategizing in Republic Commando, um, the Vagrant Stories combat system again, uh, the progression system in Mushahime-sama, um, basically that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's just like a few things that could have been way better if they'd done it right. The so first time. I, I also had Pathologic written down, you know, which was also fleshed out in the sequel, Pathologic 2. I also just want to uh, shout out Rosso Dude, who is a modder who's done a few mods for uh, games like System Shock 2 and Deus Ex, of course. 
is currently working on a mod for Pathologic 1, which ramps up the difficulty, uh, opportunity cost of decision-making, etc., etc. a lot. I actually just remembered I forgot to reply to him the other day, but I did read everything he posted, including the articles he linked. Yeah, so... <laughs> so, so sorry for forgetting. Yeah, so definitely, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about more when that gets released, but I'm keen for that uh, release because it's basically trying to make the gameplay of Pathologic 1 a lot more interesting and engaging. I mean, I think that no matter what you do to that game, the gameplay is going to be worse than Pathologic 2. But if it can get at least closer, then Pathologic 1, with its story, will be a more holistic experience. So um, Pathologic 2, for the you know, fixes a lot of the gameplay issues of the first game. But this mod looks like it's trying to do a similar thing. Um, the other game I had down here was Eternal Darkness. I think the biggest missed opportunity with this game was the way in which the house in the present was interlaced with the all of the historical stories. The way the structure of that game works is that you would wander around the house, you would discover an artifact which gave you a flashback to the past, then you would return to the house, open one door, and have the next flashback. I think there was a lot of opportunity to make this a lot more interconnected. I was expecting something closer to the Resident Evil 1 mansion, and instead it was a very, very linear journey through this house. Uh, so I think that Eternal Darkness, with, with its glyphs and counter glyphs, had some interesting mechanics there. And I think that level design-wise, if they had done a lot more with the base house, it would have been a far more enjoyable game. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, for me, Republic Commando was the big pick because I think the idea of having this squad and commanding them to do interesting things is awesome. But that was it was just quite limited in practice and you didn't really get to you know, push the boundaries of what it would feel like to command a squad, I think. Yeah, and um, ben, ben mentioned to me when we were, do Baldur's Gate to your cowards, aka Ben mentioned to me that this what basically a lot of what we were asking for is what is given to you in Mass Effect One, and I think he's kind of correct. It's kind of like controlling a squad of troops, but you're a lot more free in how you use your powers. So I think Mass Effect One uh, is a pretty good, uh, pretty good uh, update on what Republic Commando was trying to do. Yeah, agreed. Now we're into the final three questions. Oh, it's been a long episode, but. Thank you, everyone, again. Um, the next question comes from Vexus, <laughs> and it's a bit of a funny one. It is, envision for me aloud, as the year of our Lord 2023 ends, what an ideal gamer holiday might look like for the hypothetical youth of today. Um, and, you know, I imagine this involves Mountain Dew-flavored eggnog, but maybe that's just <laughs> me. <laughs> um the thing I wanted to call out for this is that I think that the most enjoyable gaming thing you can do on holidays with friends has not actually changed. I think the most enjoyable thing you can do is land parties with Mountain Dew and pizza. Whether that's you're all sitting around consoles or you all lug your PCs to the same location and play random games together. I, I really don't think that's changed. I think that my most enjoyable games of my childhood are those times when I went over to someone's house and we had four Xboxes hooked up or when we all brought our PCs to someone's houses and were playing, you know, random games that none of us had played before, like um, Supreme Commander, Massive Scale RTS, or we played Savage 2, which was the game that S2 made before Hon, which was an RTS 
FPS hybrid. You know, we would just pick a game and we'd all install it and we'd spend an hour and a half getting the networking issues for every single game. And in my mind, and maybe I'm wrong about this, I think the kids of today would enjoy that experience of being away from adults and just having a night full game, you know, night full of gaming and sugar with their mates experiencing weird stuff and getting sleep deprived and grumpy towards the end. I kind of miss E3 already because we used to always have people over like to just drink beer and <laughs> like laugh at the cringe presenters it was and so bad. get excited for new games that we were interested in and just talk shit um, about some of them that didn't look so hot. <laughs> you know, like that was really fun. I felt like, you know, as it kind of dwindled, it got more boring and boring. But there was a few years that had some really exciting reveals. Uh, I remember when they revealed uh, the remake for FF7, like, you know, the crowd went nuts. It was mm. awesome. Years before that, when Twilight Princess got announced, first Zelda game on the Wii, uh, that was, you know, that was crazy. I remember the crowd for that. Um, See, I never gave a shit about E3, and I think it's because I'm mainly a PC gamer. Because yeah. I feel like E3 was pretty heavily targeted console gaming. I agree with that, yeah. It definitely was. The The PC show was never as big or exciting, right? And besides, it was, yeah, that era where E3 was growing was also the era where PCs were, PC gaming was being... I held would, hostage. I, held hostage, <laughs> yeah. That's a good way to put it, James. I agree. I was going to go for something nicer, but held hostage is exactly correct. Where it felt like... PCs were being held back by the shitty hardware and UIs of consoles. And games were being dis- you know, designed for consoles and then just lazily ported over and ugh. so yeah, I'm not I don't look back too fondly on that um on that era, unfortunately. Something about sitting around with, you know, food and drink and playing stuff while watching uh, announcements was really fun. So that's kinda like where it would be for me. I think the key um, thing is that it's just like being with friends, right? Like I don't think that's really changed. Like, I, my, my little brother's 21, and he was telling me about how they all went and saw a movie, and then they were playing Switch games on this movie theater screen as part of their <laughs> experience for someone's birthday. And I'm like, man, that sounds awesome. And it's really not that different from what we did. So, you know, hanging out with friends playing games is something that, at least to this day, is still still damn fun. Okay, and Vexus's next question was, tell me about your experience snow sporting, which Does Vexus unfortunately... know where we live? Yeah, we live in Australia. I actually haven't been ever. Like, not I've only... been in snow once. Not only do we live in Australia, we live in Brisbane, which is, um, it's not, it's not as hot as it gets, but it's pretty close, and this summer's been pretty bloody ridiculous. I'm melting. Like, does that count as a snow sport? Like, a living? Yeah, we are. Also, we're in the middle of summer right now as well, which is, you know, not your typical Christmas. So the closest thing I've done to snow sporting, I have been up a mountain to see snow. I used to live in Canberra, which is down south, and they have a mountain there that has snow. They may even have two mountains that have that have snow. Um, and Ooh. I've also gone to ice rinks to ice skate a couple of times. Oh, um, I've been ice skating. I yeah, like ice skating. Yeah, that's and you know that's stumbling and falling over, and while dickheads skate backwards in loops and make me look terrible. When we visited relatives in Scotland or friends and family in Scotland, we got snowed in one day and spent the whole day digging through snow to make a little. That's a like, winter sport. Yeah, that's something. <laughs> getting yeah. getting out of the house. <laughs> yeah, so that's the um that's the closest we've been to a winter sport. And it's maybe why in Australia everyone's like, Man, this snowboarding game is really cool and I have like zero 
real interest or connection to snowboarding because it's so far removed from our experience. Let's just say that Australia punches way above its weight in the Olympic Games, but in the Winter Olympic Games, we punch far below our weight, <laughs> and that's basically due to our climate. So uh, thanks for the hilarious question, but yeah, not not much <laughs> snow in Australia. <laughs> um, final question from Science Storm. Are you guys reading or watching anything you'd recommend? Um, so I've got a couple of answers here. Um, the first is uh, I got a copy of the book Freakonomics for my birthday a couple of months ago. Uh, and the reason I got that is because I've been listening to the Freakonomics podcast a lot. I really, really like this podcast and this uh, this book series. The idea is that it takes like a economic or social issue uh, usually one that is a little counterintuitive. It has a panel of experts surrounding that issue on the episode and it uh, explains them or in the book and, and explains them from that variety of perspectives. And my favorite thing is that it is kind of short and punchy and to the point and it kind of delves into why things kind of work out the way they do, even if it doesn't make sense immediately it does make sense deep down once you get get a little deeper into the pod into the um into the data. So I would describe this as like pop sociology slash pop economics. There's nothing here that the uneducated layperson can't understand or get to grips with. It's just the interesting stuff. And um it's just really, really interesting stuff and a way to I guess diversify my listening away from gaming podcasts a bit and learn a little bit more about the world. I actually have not been reading or watching anything in months. I think mm. um, I feel like I've mostly been focused on like my gaming side or you know uh, doing extracurricular stuff or I guess since uh, tabletop, tabletop games, yeah. yeah, it's been like researching characters and like writing characters and that kind of thing. So. I haven't really had a lot of time for reading and watching things like I haven't watched like shows or anything for months it feels like so no good answer from me unfortunately maybe I should I actually haven't read a book in years I think at this <laughs> point yeah the only thing recently is when I got my new job I started listening to Brandon Sanderson's Rhythm of War like in Stormlight Archive um I'd been meaning to read that for a few years uh, since it came out and it was really good actually i thought it was probably my second favorite in the series mm -hmm. um it is really it good. strongly awaiting the next one so um yeah but other than that not a lot from me uh yeah and i've mostly been the same with tv um i did watch severance uh this year which i really enjoyed and yeah my um, roommates like that yeah i finished watching better call saul which for my mind is just one of the best like long-term tv series ever made i think it's better than breaking bad uh i think it's better than the wire i i mean the wire has a lot going for it but vocal soul is like consistently entertaining while at the same time being you know gritty and dark and horrible the acting performances the directing it's just like such a good show so if you have any interest in crime better call soul and is a great prequel to breaking bad and is all the more better for the existence of Breaking Bad. So those are the two ones I'd recommend. Well, I think we're done, James. Thank you so much to everyone who submitted these questions. Um, they're all fantastic. Well, most of them, you know, one or two trolley questions aside, but at least they opened the door for us to 
reflect and philosophize a bit. So thank you everyone who, who put that questions in. Um, I also want to put a special shout out for Mayday Mima, who designed the banner for this episode. Uh, in the past four years, I've had to design absolutely atrocious banners in MS Paint. And luckily, uh, Mayday Mima has taken that responsibility from my hands for uh, Mailbag 5. So special thank you to you for doing that for us. Um, <laughs> so for those, I mean... I Man, it's really bucketing right now. I know, now. it's coming down like mad. Uh, yeah, this is the other aspect of, um, of summer in, uh, in Australia, specifically Queensland. We get absolutely bucketed with storms. So it goes from being 40 degrees, and then the next day we get an absolutely violent thunderstorm then it's back to 40 degrees sometimes in the same day as well uh so for those who have not listened to us before i mean i'm very surprised that you're choosing mailbag 5 for the first episode but so be it you can find all that content on our website which is rspodcast.net as links to everything all of our episodes a bunch of articles all our social media stuff including our discord server it's also got a link to our buy me a coffee page which is where you can support the show monetarily Honestly, if this is the first time you're listening in, I would love to hear why <laughs> Mailbag 5. It's like, I would love it's like to you're know. looking through the episodes, it's like, yep, Mailbag 5, this is the one for me. This is the one I'm going to use to decide the quality of this show. Uh, so, yeah, please do let us know and explain why you're as crazy as you are. Thank you. Uh, so, that's the episode done. Let's talk a little bit about what we're doing for our first episode of Season 6. What what game are we playing, James? Yeah, so normally what we do at the end of the year is we do a mailbag and then we pick a modern game to play that we can kind of contrast off the rest of the games. So, this time, we've, we already mentioned this, like, last year, but we're going ahead and picking Rain World, uh, which kind of, like matches this kind of like miserable mechanically heavy kind of game that patrick and i have sort of <laughs> settled on as preferring it is you know, funny isn't it uh, it's, like, <laughs> it's like this pathologic resident evil one like let's we want to suffer yeah, in our video this is, this is, we want to suffer yeah power <laughs> fantasy what's that uh, you play as a little slug cat creature that dies anytime anything gets its claws on it it's a survival-ish kind of game and uh, yeah, it's quite challenging. Even I would argue unfair at times. Deliberately so. so. We're, uh, yeah, deliberately so. So this will be a really interesting one to talk about. I already think the atmosphere is fantastic. Uh, lots of you know hidden stuff to find in there. I'll be very curious to see how Pat gets on with that one. Yeah, we've um we've played it a little bit already in preparation, and I can already say like it's an incredibly intriguing game. Uh, I'm excited to talk about it, excited to make more progress and see what more the game has. So um, thank you once again for listening to us talk about Mailbag, and we'll see you in three weeks for Rain. Thanks for listening, guys. Catch up. Catch up.